This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. As always, I'm Kara Clank. <laughs> what if you changed? <laughs> um, and I am sometimes Lisa Traeger. <laughs> and we're talking SVU, the true crime the episode is based on. And then we talk to an incredible guest. And I think you guys are going to lose your fucking cool for today's guest. <laughs> After a dramatic episode, a dramatic moment in history and time. And honestly, we're going to have a dramatic intro right now because, (laughs) you know, listen, we're in a bit of a time machine. I know everyone, by the time this episode comes out, we will have been raging about this for a couple of weeks. But as we're recording, it is just broken that the Supreme Court is likely going to overturn Roe versus Wade. And uh, I just feel like I've been walking around like numb the last few days. Like I... Like, I yelled at my husband and was like, why don't you ever say anything about it? And he was like, okay. And he, like, did some tweets. And I was like, you know, I... It's like Lisa has pointed this out before, too. Yeah, like, you don't hear enough men speaking up about this. Like, I want to hear everybody talking about this more. And it's like, we were fully gaslit since 2016. Oh, Roe is law. Roe is law. We're going to be fine. And now here we are. And it's sad. But I think we can also 
work to affect change and help people. So we actually have been in touch with Planned Parenthood of California. And look, California is a place where we're never probably going to lose the right to abortion. We, we are very lucky that Lisa and I both live here. And, um, you know, our governor is very... Uh, is very invested in keeping abortion like a codified law in this state. So um, we are probably good, but Cal- Planned Parenthood of California is actually doing a lot to help these other states. So we'll have a link in our show notes on how to donate to them and on our Instagram stories and stuff like that. And also they are running this campaign called Say Abortion. And it's just encouraging people to tell their stories about their abortion, to talk about abortion. Let's st- Let's get abortion out from the whispers, like it's not anything shameful to talk about. And let's pressure lawmakers to go along with what 75 to 80% of this country wants, which is reproductive access for everyone and reproductive freedom. So go to sayabortioncalifornia.com. Even if you don't live in California, they have lists of all these different rallies and stuff that are happening in all different states. Like I just went on really quickly and I saw Wichita, Cleveland, like everywhere. Um, And so it's a great, right now it feels like, okay, what are we doing? Where are we marching? Where are we giving money? And I think they have kind of a good concentrated place where you can see what's going on in your area. You can donate to them and they're, they're helping This is not going towards, I I believe, abortion access in California. This is going towards, like, you know, helping abortion funds in other states and stuff like that. And also, we're going to be working on uh, disseminating abortion funds on our Instagram as well. Yeah, and we are doing (sighs) a abortion deep dive episode in a few weeks. So, right now, we're touching on it. Um, It's... It sucks. I don't even... The numb is a good thing. Like, I feel not surprised, not shocked, not anything. It's like, we all fucking knew this forever. Like, the moment Kavanaugh got um, put into the court, Hillary Clinton tweeted, like, Roe v. Wade is done, guys. And that was in 2018. And um, so often, women are meant to, like, oh, you're emotional, you're irrational, you're over blah, 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 you're you're over-exaggerating. And it's like know what we feel is real. And even now, yeah. like I, I did the dumb thing of going on Twitter and looking at uh, Matt Gates posted some dumb bullshit. And I was just looking at the comments and it's just people saying the dumbest fucking shit. And someone was like, ugh, women always acting so emotional. And it's like, yeah, I don't know why that's bad. Like everything that is feminine is deemed as bad. Like, yeah, maybe if men were more in touch with their emotions, there wouldn't be school shooters and genocide and war. I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe you got like, what makes you think you guys have killed it at life when the world sucks? You know what I mean? (laughs) Even for you guys, like, I, it's, um, it's really appalling and it's just horrific thinking of all the people that are gonna feel desperate and um, in danger and their well, lives Well, and I think danger. that's what Planned Parenthood of California is like is like trying to help, you know, getting people to our state and helping people with get access in our state if they can't get it in their own. And I, you know, you just reminded me when you talked about this Matt Gates thing. I, now I can't find it, of course, but... Well, it's about just like, oh, you're overeducated and you have a cat. And it's like um, the ideas of who gets abortions. You know, these guys, they're just like, they don't care... Because it's not about that, you know, it's like, whatever, you choose to fuck. And it's like, well, that's, clearly that's, <laughs> you're dumb and you're missing a very important element of all of this, which is assault and incest. 
Um, yeah. But also just like the idea of who gets abortions when it's truly like mothers who already have four kids. It's fi- it's business ladies. It's educated people. It's 12-year-olds. There was like um, a provider who posted all the different patients she saw in a year and a half. And the other delusional thing I saw online was some dumb anti-abortion bitch being like, oh, you know, look at all them like protesting and being violent and look at us. We, we've we been saving lives slowly on a grassroots level, getting together and like, and then all these women, this woman posted, actually when I worked and op- at a Planned Parenthood and I had to open the mail in an airtight room so if there was anthrax, I'd be the only one to die. And then it just started as a whole trend of people being like, yep, when I, and I mean, abortion doctors have been fully murdered. Yeah. These people are harassing. And then there was one woman who she said she was really pregnant and going to Planned Parenthood for services outside of abortion. And people were like trying to convince, oh no, she worked there. People were like, the the protesters were yelling at her like, don't do it, don't do it. And she goes, I work here. And then they started throwing rocks at her and she was seven months pregnant. Like these people are delusional at who they are, what they think they are doing. They think they're these like calm saviors of babies who are revolutionizing shit. And they, they are delusional. These are QAnon fucks. Like these are religious monsters and they're not people who listen to others are in tune with others or care actually for people. Like all these people, I doubt they donate. I doubt they do what Kara does and, you know, our casas and helping people in foster care. Like they're not doing shit. (sighs) Yeah. I mean, I also like, I I was just trying to find it, but I like saw this thing in someone's feed too about that somebody wrote this thing that was like, if you want to give your organs after you die, you need to fill out consent. So essentially, this law gives women less rights than a corpse because it is saying you must carry this baby. Like, you do not get this choice. Here, I think Annalise found it. Yeah, no one has the right to use your body to save another's life without your consent. Like, you're just, you're not allowed to just say, hey, I need your blood. Hey, I need your organs. Like, you know, you just can't, it's just not, Well, and there's no reasoning or talking to these people because if they were rational humans that listened and were in reality, they would understand the complexities of what abortion is and what... I mean, there's people who don't... We don't talk about... You mentioned, like, you know, the Say Abortion campaign, but I was recently talking with someone that, like can't have children and had miscarriages and like didn't know that it took forever to have kids. Like people don't know about periods. I was doing some period jokes in Pittsburgh and some guy yelled out like, I don't want to hear about that. And you know, I did a fun joke like that he should go down on people with periods for iron and I got him a blood <laughs> break. Like I'm fucking good. But it was this thing of like, he didn't want to hear it. But I talk about cum for like 30 minutes. So it's like, you were totally fine hearing me talk about jizz forever. And then one mention of period made you yell out. Like, it's it's all about femininity. It's like people, don't, like the comments sometimes online about periods where it's like, it's every 28 days and it's like, actually it's irregular or it's heavy or it's not or people miscarry all the time and abortion is regular and, D and, and sometimes you have, I don't even know this stuff, but I know sometimes you want to keep your baby and you can't and you yeah. have to do these things or pe- people's family members would have died if they had to be forced to give birth. It's like, these people, it's hard to talk to them because it seems if they were open to anything, they would have already realized this. No, you and know? you know, it's like I have members of my family that are anti-choice. And listen, I just not- looked at my phone. It's eleven eleven. I think we can make a collective wish. Let's make a collective wish. 
Great. I have members of my family, though, who are anti-choice, who are not these QAnon wacko people that you think of. You know what I mean? That are throwing rocks at pregnant people outside of a Planned Parenthood. Like, it is, it is like... A but weird, they're religious. But it's a religious thing, right? It's not even religious. Then what is it? It's like, this is, I think this is a life. And that's it. And but, like some, But you are know. they fighting as much for when the people are born? Are they fighting against the death penalty? It's bullshit. No, no, it's no. Bullshit. It's full bullshit. Whatever it's, they it's say, bullshit. that's a lie. That is a bullshit. It's like... It's that is not real because if it was real, they would be doing other things. They're not. No, absolutely. But the it's other convo- thing too is like lo- when you talk lie. to people like this that are like, oh, well, this is just when I think a life happens. They also agree with these um, exceptions of rape, exceptions of incest, these certain exceptions. And it's like, yes, but there are too many exceptions. There are too many things. It has to be blanket. It has to be blanketly like you could also granted. Just not want to have a kid, and that is fine. Yes, to me. Like, being like, oh, no, it's more broad. Like, being anti-choice is crazy to me. To yeah, me, and you're here's the thing. Lunatic. It's like, it's not the majority. Like, 80%, like, I saw a poll today that was like it's 80% control. of people are saying it's, that they believe in this. Because it's a control thing at the end of the day. No matter how you twist it, it is, I don't believe in this, so you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of Jewish people were posting that in Jewish faith, it is absolutely mandatory to do an abortion to save the mother's life. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if, what is your, you know, it's it's uh, it's control and um, arrogance and thinking that people need to live the way you need to live. Yeah. And to think that you're saving babies from a giant genocide, go fuck yourself. You know what's really happening? There's kids in cages. Why don't you go help them? Yeah. On, on American soil, there's kids in cages being fucking human trafficked by government officials. Why don't you worry about that? These are all bullshit people. I don't yeah. respect them. I don't like them. And I don't have to be nice to them. If I was in a conversation with someone and they've re- they've revealed that they were anti-choice, I would get up and walk away. I would have no reason to have those people in my life or entertain them. Yeah. And that is a um that is a hard line for me. And I don't, you know, if there are people on this podcast, I don't care. Write us an email. I don't give a shit. I, You're not changing my point of view. If you are pro if you are uh anti-choice and you listen to this podcast, I mean, uh, wow. Um, well, listen, we're going to get more into this in a couple of weeks when we do, like Lisa mentioned, a more abortion-specific um, episode. And, you know, there's a lot of... Mo- we obviously wish we could do one very soon. There's a lot of moving pieces to this podcast. We're not dragging our feet. We've had the idea to talk about this for a long time. Also, this was a leak. This wasn't supposed to come out until June. So. But I also believe... Do you hear this, that they leaked it on purpose so people yes. are mad now so then when it's overturned, yes. people will be calm and it's like... yeah. But we need to, like, keep the outrage up. I don't think that that's difficult to keep the outrage up for May and June. I mean, we had a full summer of, of like, protesting for Black Lives Matter. I think people can keep it up. So I really hope people, that's, that's bullshit. But I have heard that theory from other people, that they leaked it on purpose to, like, sort of dull the rage when the actual decision comes down. Fuck those fuckers. Fuck everyone. But I don't want this to all be... Um... So can what can you tell people about your Monday night, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Just so it's like a little bit of a positive twist. So yeah, so Monday night, I went to this wonderful show hosted by a drag queen named uh, Tony Soto in 
Silver Lake at the amazing gay bar Akbar. It's an amazing, uh, amazing bar that I love to go to. And I'd never been to this before. And it was like, it's just a lip sync contest. It's like you sign up and it's almost like a lip sync open mic. You can just sign up and go up and lip sync to whatever song you want. Some people are in drag. Some people are fully just in their their street clothes, just doing whatever. It was so fun. Tony is such a funny host. My two friends, Brenton Elliott from the You're Making It Worse podcast were judging it. And it was, I just had a blast. Shea Coulee was there, former friend of the pod, guest uh, from our, our very first live show. And I, I got to hang out with Shay and Maxwell from the from the Top Model podcast and everybody and Shay's boyfriend, Dan, who we we love. Like, it was just a really, really fun night. And um, an unexpected, like, Monday night thing. I was just like, I'm just gonna go check this out. And then it turned out to be, like, just one of the funnest nights I've had in a while. And then... We got an email offering Lisa and I to be judges. So mark your little calendars down. We're going to be judging Learn the Words, Bitch, at Akbar on uh, July 11th. So really excited about that. Um, and then I'll also plug one other quick thing. We've, we, a couple weeks ago, we told a lot of you guys about the podcast Ruined, which is hosted by our friends Allison Leiby and Hallie Kiefer. It's where, one girl loves horror, the other one hates it, and she explains a horror movie to the horror hater. And it's like a uh, fun little podcast about horror. If you, whether you love the horror or you hate it, you've got one person on there that you can identify with. And I'm going to be a guest host of it today on today's episode of Ruined. So go to Apple or Spotify or wherever you podcast and check out. Um, I'm the one getting explained to because you guys know I'm not a huge horror girl. Um, so yeah, that's coming out today. And then as usual, I want to plug our tour dates. You guys, we are touring around a little bit still. We've got shows coming up. Let me tell you, we've got shows coming up in San Diego on June 5th, San Francisco on June 9th. And I don't think we've announced it on the podcast yet that we are coming to Minneapolis. If you live in the Midwest, if you live anywhere within driving distance of Minneapolis, come see us at the Minneapolis Comedy Festival. That's on June 19th. Look, the show is at four o'clock in the afternoon. You can drive back to wherever you live and you can get home in time to like, I don't know, put your kids to bed or whatever you need. But it's kind of a fun afternoon thing on Father's Day. Ditch your father or the father in your life and come see us. And we just found out also that right after Minneapolis, we'll be heading to dun, 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 Lisa's hometown of Chicago. Two shows at Zany's. So excited. We're going to be at Zany's downtown on June 20th and June 21st. Two shows. Listen, it's a small room, and I kind of think that people listen in Chicago, so get your tickets quickly so that, you know, you don't get left in the cold and you don't get to come see us in Chicago. We're so excited, guys. You've all been so awesome coming to see us on tour. And even if you don't live in one of these cities, we're, we're probably coming to your city soon. Thank you for all the comments on Instagram telling us what city you live in. But if you live in, if you have friends in the places where we're coming, please spread the word. Help us uh, be able to sell tickets so that we can come to your city. <laughs> and we have fun. We have a good time. Yeah, no, we have a blast. My big um, claim to fame with a celeb this week was I got to do um, Natasha Legero and Moshe Kasher's podcast, Endless Honeymoon. And it was at 
the Masonic Theater at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. I've so never cool. been there. And what a place. What a place. It feels so special. And um, So it I was to- indoors. It wasn't outside at the yeah, cemetery? Yeah, it was okay. in the Masonic Lodge. And which wow. is on the grounds, but they have a whole artistic program and it's gorgeous in there. And my mom was like, when I was talking to her, she goes, a show at a cemetery. What's going on in California? Like it is like <laughs> wild. It's so celebratory, but we are in Hollywood and a lot of famous people are buried there. But Fred Armisen was the other guest with me. So I got to fucking just casually hang out with a fucking SNL legend. And everyone was so funny, but he had his 50th birthday party at that lot, at the part, you know, and his friends got together and his big gift was they got him a plot at the cemetery. <gasps> wow. So he has a plot and all of his friends like presented it to him on his 50th birthday at the at the Masonic Lodge. Wow. <laughs> They're like, this is where you're going to be buried. Wow. Yeah, but it was cool um, doing someone else's podcast live and it was so fun and there was people asking for advice, but Moshe and Natasha are just so funny and quick and like... They're so funny. I and Fred, I mean, I was just laughing and laughing and it was um, just like a special evening and I can't wait to go back to that cemetery. Yeah, I've been on, um, I've been at a couple of satyrs. Guy Branham does these satyrs that are so fun. They're like, he fully plots them out like a game show and they're all these little mini games and stuff. And it's a lot of comedians and then a lot of like just his gay friends and it's so fun. And Moshe and Natasha have been at a few or one was on Zoom during the pandemic and it always feels like I'm like trying to make them laugh. <laughs> like, so I... uh I, they are so funny, and I'm, I'm sure the show was so awesome. Yeah, and there was a couple. We had to make fun of them, but they came to the Netflix as a joke festival for their honeymoon. Wow. And so Natasha was like, well, we went to Bora Bora, but cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, yeah, just like a couple fun things that we did um, while the world burns around us that maybe um, will lead us into this horrific episode. Yeah. Damn. So thanks. thanks for being our friends and yeah. listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's get started because this has been, you know, on account of our ranting, this has been a beefy intro and we do have a very fun, hot episode for you. So here it is. So today we are doing Making a Rapist, season 18, episode two. And, you know, it's a tough one, I would say, oh. but thrilled. And I was also thinking I'm happy for the writers and everyone that Warren Light took a few days off or a few seasons off so they didn't have to do 18 letters and they could just have Making a Rapist, which is a good title. You know what I yes. mean? Yeah. Totally. They didn't have to play any anagram games. Um, so <laughs> congratulations to the writers of season 18 um, with a chill title. Now, we do open on Joe Biden, um, which is jarring because... Yeah. And thank you to everybody who's reached out and said, uh, please get Joe Biden as a guest on the podcast. I don't know what yeah. we would have asked him. He's on for two minutes. But um, I also think it would be really funny to have Secret Service on a Zoom with us or something. Yeah, I mean, he can't even do his job right now. I don't know if he can get an extra podcast in that schedule of his. Um, truly just, can you do something? Okay. Um, 
He is vice president at this point, if you are unaware. So he is talking about abuse of power and that rape is the worst abuse of power and how hard it is for women to heal. Um, And then again, like the victim isn't believed in rape kits, how invasive they are. They're not tested and we fail women all the time. Oh, and then he goes like, and now we're here to celebrate this squad. So the 16th precinct is getting a vice president hero welcome. Um, and he knows uh, Olivia Benson and everybody. So that's, <laughs> I just wonder how this came about. Like, yeah. did he reach out? Did she reach out? Did they meet up at an event? Bo oh, Biden is obviously- I think Marishka saw him at like a dinner and was yeah. like, <laughs> let's talk joyful heart. And would you want to come and do this? Like for sure. Yeah. I think vice presidents can do little like, cameos on shows and it's not like that weird, I guess. It's weird that he's well, president now. Well, I didn't realize vice president was such a disrespected job until the show Veep. Yes, and then exactly. it was <laughs> thrilling. I'm like, wow, I guess they just go to county fairs. And well, and eat now ice the cream. way that they're the way that they do Kamala dirty all the time, it's like, yeah, the show kind of warned you, you know, that it was gonna be like this. Yeah, but people love proximity to power. Yes. Um, And everyone is staring at Joe Biden very seriously. We have Benson's behind him and then Ice, Rollins, and Carisi in front um, with the crowd. And there's like 30 people listening to Biden speak. He calls Benson a friend and he congratulates her. (laughs) Um, And she, you know, she thinks it's an honor. And since we've uh, started clearing the rape kit backlog, he says we've taken rapists off the street, prevented future crimes, and now we're able to right a terrible wrong. And we're getting into the thick of the episode here. Um, We find out 16 years ago, a man named Sean Roberts was convicted of a rape, and then they panned to a a white man with like a banker hair and outfit. Um, (laughs) He did not commit the rape uh, because, and they found that out because they processed a rape kit in Detroit and found the real rapist. And now Sean is able to be free after 16 years incarcerated. And they also panned the camera to a mother-daughter duo who um, the mom is played by Kelly Williams. Hell yes, if you watch the practice, this is a big day for us all. And there's a lot of press at this event and Sean is thanking everyone and he's been out of jail for a month and it feels great. Obviously. And he says he has no ill will towards Melanie and Ashley. That's the mother-daughter duo. And they want to make amends. And Ashley reveals she invited Sean to her future wedding and they're going to be friends. And Benson, shocked by that news. She's judgy. There's a subtle brow lift there. And then the mom, Melanie, walks over to Benson who says, wow, so you guys have gotten close. And she says she's just glad that Sean has forgiven her. And Finn says, hey, it was an honest mistake, girl. But let bygones be bygones. (laughs) Finn throughout this whole episode's like, whatever, mistakes happen. Like, he truly could not care less about falsely imprisoning a man for over, like, close to two decades. So, like, I will mention eight times throughout this episode of Finn just being like, I think I did my job. I don't know what you want me to do. Like, yeah. truly does not care. <laughs> and we know that about him. He, he goes home to play video games. A job is a job. And he wants to sit you at the desk. You probably have to detach a little bit when you're in a job like that. I don't know. I feel like that's Ice's... Um, philosophy, you know? Um, Yeah. And then Finn mentions that Ashley was six the last time he saw her. So we realized that Finn handled this big case. Um, And so she's getting married, a child bride at 26. So... That is happening. And they're taking Sean out for his birthday tonight. This is a very fast and furious relationship. And (laughs) it's the first time that he can legally drink. So he's ready to get lit. She says, have fun, but does not mean it. And then says, stay safe. And I think she does mean that. 
And by she, I mean Benson, obviously. Ominous background music plays, and we cut to police lights flashing. Finn walks in front of the lights, pissed as hell. Melanie asked for Finn specifically, so he walks in, and a uniformed cop explains to Rollins what went down. So the mom Melanie was sleeping, she smelled smoke, and called it in. Her daughter Ashley was raped, strangled, stabbed, burned, poured with bleach. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Before the cold open... I know. I I, I, I just am like, and then we see her burned hands, which yeah, again, it's a why lot are they before, doing that? Before the credits, it's a lot. So we see the burned hands. We get this list, and um, and then Melanie, you know, Melanie says she came down and found her like this, and she did hear a man's voice, and she says it was Sean. So that sucks, and they all look very worried credits. And we're back and we're in the hospital and Benson is giving a seamless recap to get us on the same page while um, it looks like a just a calm chat, but really she's giving us the lowdown so we don't forget anything. Ashley Harper was raped and stabbed and Sean Roberts is responsible. So how? Like we, what the fuck? Finn says the mom heard his voice, but they all went to dinner. So like, were they hanging out? Like what fucking happened? Rollins says there is no sign of forced entry and the kitchen knife is missing. And, you know, they did, the bleach did get rid of all the DNA. And so now they're going to track down the fiance and they're going through all her texts and social media. They're really working hard and quick for the case. Benson says, we need to be sure about every single detail. She does a deep breath, which I understand this is going to be a stressful day. And Carisi's here, and they need to talk to Sean and Melanie and everyone. Honestly, they have to talk to everyone. And um, you see Benson take on, like, Cragen's traffic police control, <laughs> like, crossing guard uh, energy. Finn gets, like, defensive and is like, what? I'm off the case? And she goes, absolutely not. If you step away, it looks personal. You're fucking on the case, okay? <laughs> um, and Benson goes to talk to Miss Harper, and she's wet in the eyes. The daughter is still in surgery, and there's just, like, it's not... Good. A lot of blood, a lot of burns. She's really good in this, like Kelly Williams. Beyond. Like, she just, like, is so, like... Oh, we've seen a lot of grieving moms. We've seen a lot of this. And I'm just... She has the perfect, like, uh, combination of, like, sadness, but also, like, shock. She's so shocked. Like, in shock from this trauma. And, and she's really, really good in this. And you always talk about, like, the one teardrop dropping. But, like, for this, it's, like the wet stays in her eyes yeah. throughout the whole thing. Like, it yeah. builds and doesn't even drop. And you're right. This is a, like, a career-defining performance. She just say. got me. I was like, oh, my God. Well, it's also the worst way to find your child. Yeah. And they also seem like the kind of mother and daughter who are like, my mom's my best friend. Yeah. Which I would never say, but I think a lot of people do like to say that. Yeah, and I also am with Benson, and I don't think anyone should have gone out with this convict, but whatever. I guess <laughs> bygones be bygones. So Benson, you know, is asking about Sean, and Melanie said that she heard them talking around midnight, and she went to shower and went to sleep, and then... um so they have to talk to Sean. So that's all we have. Like, she didn't see anything. Um, she can't think of anyone that would hurt her daughter, and especially not her fiancé, Zach. Um, but then she remembers, like, fuck, the engagement ring wasn't there. And I think that's why they zoomed in on her burned hands to, oh, like, foreshadow. Yes. Yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. it was just to upset us, but I think it's to show that the engagement ring wasn't there. So it is very smart television-making. Then we get a doctor to walk in. I don't know who he is and I don't care. And he just shakes <laughs> his head no, which means Ashley did not make it. So she's dead. This is sad. 
Poor Ashley, poor Melanie, and Melanie starts full-on crying at the news. Uh. Finn and Rollins go to Sean Roberts' apartment, and Finn says he has 30 million reasons not to leave town, which is alluding to Sean's lawsuit against the state. So, like, you know, once you're imprisoned for 16 years falsely, you can sue people. So he is suing the department for, like, $30 million. He opens the door. He seems confused, like, why they want to talk, and he does not let them inside. They give him the news, and he looks shocked. Oh, my God, what happened? Ashley's dead. He seems very stressed, and he wants to go comfort Melanie immediately. And he is put off by them wanting to ask him questions, like, you know, do I need a lawyer? And Rollins is like, why would you need a lawyer? And it's like, are we ignoring he did spend 16 years in prison? (laughs) falsely this happens throughout the episode where they're like why is he acting like this why do you distrust the cops what's the problem (laughs) like they are so stupid in this episode (laughs) um and he says something that for some reason i think this is the first time in 18 seasons someone said that but he does say anytime you talk to the cops you should have a lawyer and no one (laughs) ever has said that (laughs) no one's ever put it out there like that yeah no, put it on a t-shirt. They'll ask for one, but like that clearly, it's like, do not talk to any fucking cop. Yeah. He points to Finn and says, you taught me that. Burn. Oh, I learned it from watching you, dad. <laughs> he denies being at the house after dinner or, or at all. He says 11, 1130, he went to a strip club and he has a bandage on his hand. So Rollins says, and you hurt your hand at the strip club? And he says, yes, and that I didn't go alone and I had a fucking friend. So you go talk to him. It's my friend, Jeff Nichols, and he was at the birthday dinner too. So he lets them know Hell's Gate Diner is where Jeff works. And so, um, and he goes, and I need to leave because I need to call Melanie and I need to make sure she's okay. Go talk to Jeff. Go fuck yourself. And it's also like, Melanie will not be okay. Like, there's no, there's no need to check yeah. in. She's doing terrible, but have at it. Yeah, like the closeness is weird. Like, She needs me, her wrongly convicted rapist, to call her right now in her hour of need. Like, it's just, it's weird. Yeah, not her sister, best friend, cousin, co-worker. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A falsely imprisoned man. Who, like, within the month they got that close, because it's not like they knew that it was... Right, it's not like they were corresponding. Yeah. Yeah, that is so true. Um, Finn goes, we're putting on marked car on him. I don't give a fuck. Let's stalk him just in case he wants to run. And they go to the diner and I do see hash browns and that's exciting. Um, (laughs) This chef cook, he has a bandana on and he says, yeah, after dinner, we went to the ballet. Ask the strippers. So a real wise guy. I also love seeing the papers and schedules on the back wall. I don't know if you noticed that with like four-leaf clover magnets and pins. And so... There Some details of this show really um, gives me such an appreciation for the crew and all the production designers that they... Yeah, they would be fun to talk to a production designer for the show too, for sure. Yeah, because I, you know, I worked at a restaurant and I do love sheets on a wall with our schedules and rules. Yeah, and I the do. OSHA paperwork and like <laughs> yeah. how to stop someone from choking in the kitchen and it's like stained because <laughs> it's next to the dishwasher. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's so cool to see people's attention to detail and be able to appreciate it. <laughs> um, and he's not cooperating the way, like, the way that they would like. So they threaten him with parole violations. He finally admits that Sean told him to say what he's been saying. And, you know, obviously you guys tried to jam him up last time, so he's scared. And Finn looks pissed again. Dude, come on. 
Um, And he turns on his friend quickly. I mean, these are jail friends. They don't give a fuck. He says, yeah, we were at the strip club, but he didn't come until two in the morning. He said Sean would never hurt her, though. He adored Ashley and was always there for her. And we also get info that her fiancé threatened to break up the engagement. So we cut to a man in a tan suit, baby blue dress shirt, and interrogation. Very Easter prep wedding vibes. (laughs) and he's sad and he did love Ashley a lot and he asked you know what happened and Rollins goes well we we wanted you to tell us and Carisi asks him when was the last time you saw her and he says right before they went to dinner with that convict he lies about them fighting and Rollins is like honey we went through her text so there's no reason of like lying you we know that you were fighting and in the text he did ask for the ring back he says yeah I was pissed we made plans and she blew me off for Sean and he's like I get it but it doesn't make the guy a saint like yes he did spend jail like unfairly but it doesn't make him this like amazing fucking human and I'm pissed that I got blown off for that Um, but he said he was at a bar he was at the Dakota bar two blocks away from Ashley's house though does not look good Um, but also his apartment's right there and he did say that he was at the bar all night except a girl spilled red wine on him so he went home to change and came back and they do not love that at all he says I didn't kill Ashley are you guys crazy I have nothing to do with this and it cuts to Barba and a cork board Um, suspects so far (laughs) Barba and a cork board sexual (laughs) and the suspects are just Sean and Zach so far Rollins is going through Ashley's social media and she does have a lot of male followers. And so they're looking at all the... (laughs) I like... Actually, if you look at my followers, I think I'm like 80% women and 20% male. So like, I like that if something happened to me, they'd be like, she has like mostly female followers. So I don't think it's like anything from her social. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm so curious. I want to know. So, um, and the timelines are all really tight. So like from midnight till 911 call at 120 like there's not much wiggle room in terms of like when this could have occurred and Sean doesn't have an alibi but Zach does the bartender did confirm the red wine incident also still missing the knife from the kitchen and Finn is just like whatever it's Sean and Rollins goes no there's a Charlie Dobkins in her messages on social media and her asking this man to please stop looking in her window so let's go talk to fucking Charlie Dobkins and so it's August 16th let's see what's up in the summer summer heat and they ask a woman coming out of an apartment building and truly I can't like report on her like do you I don't do you have a take on this woman like I could not get a read on what this character was but like what they wanted to portray or anything like just I am like blacking out on who you're talking about describe well, like, yeah describe that's my her. point Oh, okay. She's just like a neighbor, but I was like, are you doing laundry? Are you sketchy? Are you a nosy? Like, I could not figure her out, but also it is just a quick line. I don't know. I shouldn't... Whatever. (laughs) This woman does help the detectives out, even though truly cannot get a read on her if you guys have any opinions or what you think. Maybe this will be a fun story. We'll post a photo of her and people can write in the comments (laughs) who they think she is and what her backstory is. But she says, go check the roof. And Creasy finds a tent with weed and pills and hand lotion and tissues um, and a futon mattress with pillows and blankets. and Ew, the hand <laughs> lotion and tissues. It's like yeah. a disgusting, like, spank shack on a roof. It's like so, ugh. Yeah. And um, the roof, though, like, you can see right into Ashley's window. So, um, you know, they're not, they're not loving what they're seeing. And then they, Creasy says they found, he found... Coney Island whitefish in the tent. 
Like, did he have a container of whitefish for bagels? <laughs> or is this like a code word that I don't know about? Like, is this cocaine or is this truly whitefish? You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, I didn't even know Coney Island made their own whitefish. Like, it was just very confusing to Wait, me. should I Google this really quick and see if it's like, let me just Google it and see if it's I think Annalisa's up. on it. It's a used condom. Used condom. This is huge. This yeah. is exciting. We got to the bottom of it. <laughs> a Thank God. Solved. I'm newly you're, into whitefish. Like, was he eating whitefish like a bagel? No, this is like somebody with like the New York slang was in the writer's room and was like, yeah, I left a Coney Island whitefish behind. I guess I don't really have a name for a used condom. I'm just like, ew, there's a used condom on the floor, like on the yeah. ground. Like I never have had like a cute nickname for it. Yeah, so now we know it's Coney Island Whitefish is a used condom. Annalise does not look happy with the news. Um, <laughs> disgusted. But of course, Carisi would say that. Oh my God, that's so fucking funny. <laughs> After they find the used condom, and I, I feel as listeners, you should be really grateful that we found that out for you because I bet you didn't know either. <laughs> and maybe you guys knew. Maybe you're all hip and from Staten I bet Island. you our comments on this episode are going to be filled with like what people call used condoms. They're going to be like, oh, we call <gasps> yes. that like a, yeah, we call that like a sad sack from Sunnyside or whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, Jizzy Bloon. <laughs> and Charlie um, finally walks in and he sees the cops and starts running. And of course, it's the classic, I didn't do anything. And it's like, okay, well, and then Rollins is holding a bloody knife in her hand and goes, well, what's this? So I do love that. Um, Benson is now talking to the mom of the victim and letting her know they found the murder weapon. And makeup and hair really killed it in terms of like really making her look like a grieving woman. And she says they didn't know the neighbor boy well, but thought he was odd, but they didn't think much of it. But they asked Melanie to like look through all his junk from the tent to see if we find Ashley's stuff in there. Um, but we don't have any final answers on if the killer is this boy Charlie or not. And this boy Charlie is played by a kid named Cody Castro, who I recognize from Mayor of Easttown. Okay. Yeah, I think we're going to see more from this guy. Okay, so this is the beginnings for him. Yeah. Beginning careers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, you heard it here first. Yeah. So, um, he's in interrogation with Carisi and Rollins um, and is being asked, and he keeps being like, can I call my mom? And they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you had a bloody knife. You're not calling your mom, sir. Um, and did you take this photo of Ashley through her window? And he's like, well, yeah, she always stood there. She clearly wanted me to see. Fucking psycho incel. Yeah, I was getting Holden March vibes from him, like, immediately. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, this guy, I bet he's very nice, like the actor that plays Holden March, but the character. I know, I just remembered we talked to little Holden March, yeah, and that was exciting. He was so nice. God, we talked to such good people. It's really <laughs> unfair to everyone else in the world. Okay. He does have a girlfriend um, named Siobhan who told him it was fucked up to take pictures of the girl, but he didn't care. Um... And they're trying to trick him to say more. And so then his mother and girlfriend come running into the precinct and ask for, you know, ask Finn for Charlie. And Siobhan is wild and is like, you need to let him go now. And I just can't imagine having the balls to talk to Ice-T like that. Like, I just, <laughs> I really can't. And they say, listen, he will confess and agree to anything because he has, maybe he has fetal alcohol syndrome. They don't really talk about why he's so easily influenced, though. I don't really get it. Yeah. But it's he, weird. He has some sort of 
issue where he's a people pleaser in a weird way, but they don't diagnose him. So I don't know. But um, the girlfriend says, he didn't do it. I have proof. He was with me all night long. So he was having sex with Siobhan and they took a bunch of videos of themselves fucking with time codes. So he's actually like on camera the whole time having sex and did not commit the crime. He said he picked the knife up off the curb after the killer dropped it. So Liv is like, okay, now you're a witness. So can we like get some more information? Like what exactly did you see when? So they're back on the roof trying to recreate the drama and get his like memory going. He said he saw a white man who dropped something in the trash bag. So he went to go get it. And Creasy's like, yeah, 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 the knife. We already know that. Can you just maybe tell us something new? Uh, (laughs) We need you to be sure though. It's a murder investigation. So like, can you please be on it? But Amanda... Starts flirting. She can't really help it. So she's begging him to focus, then shows him photos, and he straight up is like, I'll do whatever you want. You're pretty. Like (laughs) He's calling Amanda pretty. He's so in love with her, and they're just showing, and he goes, I'll lie for you. I don't give a fuck. Like, will this help you? Like, tell me what to do. I'll say whatever you need. And she goes, no, we just need the truth. Just tell us the truth. We didn't know games. But she is eye-fucking him. So it's like, what? (laughs) Mixed messages. Very mixed messages. Um, But don't say yes if you're not sure. And he says, yes, I'm sure it's Sean. I swear that it's Sean, but I don't feel like this is reliable. The squad is now there, full big jacket gear, and they're ready to pick up Sean. He screams, this is harassment. You need a warrant. And they go, yeah, we have a fucking warrant. (laughs) So Finn goes and immediately finds Ashley's diamond ring in the kitchen sink drain. Rollins asks him how it got there, and he says, I don't know. But they arrest his ass, obviously. And before that, they can finish the Miranda rights. He's like, shut up, I know. (laughs) I was innocent then and I'm innocent now as they take him away. He's in interrogation, um, but alone waiting for his lawyer. And who's the lawyer? Buchanan, baby. So you know this motherfucker's guilty. (laughs) (laughs) If you're hiring Buchanan, you did it. And Benson is like, wow, he swooped in fast. And it's like, yeah, that is his job. And also this man did spend 16 years in jail for a crime he didn't commit. Why are we forgetting this? Um, but we love Buchanan. And Benson and Finn fill in Barba. You know, there was blood found on one of his shoes and the ring. And it's everything was by the book. And Barba is in a purple tie. And I don't know if we've ever seen that before. And it's not a shirt. So I feel like it's appropriate and okay for me to mention. And Buchanan's like, honey, the lawsuit prices just went up for harassment. And Carisi says, we found the engagement ring in the drain, period, and stop. Like, what more can you say? And Buchanan accuses Finn of framing him and that it's a frame-up job. Rollins says, damn, I hope you're getting a discount because your lawyer's fucking dumb as hell. And Buchanan (laughs) says, uh, Sean is not a murderer or a rapist, and he has never committed a crime. Sean then says, you really think I would do that to her? She was nice to me. She's the only person who's ever been nice to me. She treated me like I was normal. And Rollins goes, yeah, and then you raped and killed her as a thank you. Good job. And he says, no, I did not. I know what it's like to be raped. I would never. And now we find out a little bit more details about him. And he got, he went to jail at 18 years old. Yeah. 140 pounds. Yeah. So that's something to think about. Um, But they are taking him back to jail. And that's not good in terms of trauma if he was being raped since he was 18 all the time at this in this jail. There should be like weight class jails. Like small people all get to go to one. Big guys all get to go to one. I don't know. I think it would be. I like that idea. But, you know, you know in Con Air, Steve Buscemi is the tiniest, but with the most um, gear on his face. Uh, you know, I've never seen Con Air, but I'm, I hear what you're saying. 
yeah, you never know. Because and in Orange is the New Black, like sometimes like tiny women were like tough ass bitches, you know? So I could see how that would, could backfire. But I just feel bad when like really young, small guys go to jail and are just Especially like, if they didn't commit the crime. Yeah, Or if course. they did. No, I mean, I think law enforcement should be better about people getting fully raped under their care. Yeah. Um, But... That's the world we live in, and it fucking blows. But Steve Buscemi in Con Air, his whole thing is like talking about crimes of passions versus crimes of necessities. And the greats do it out of passion. And he goes into this weird thing, and Nicolas Cage is like, stop talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you, we got to put that on the big screen. Let's like do a projector Con yeah, Air. Yeah, projector it's real- area in my backyard. Let's do it. It is like a projector-style popcorn blockbuster of a movie. <laughs> like, it is just um, huge. Okay, this is not a Con Air podcast, and I will digress. <laughs> I'm just saying, size isn't everything, but I do believe that um, people should not be put in a place where they are obviously going to be raped with no repercussions or anyone helping yeah. them. yeah. Um, the detectives and Barba are scared, though, that the jury is going to buy this frame story. And Barba goes, yeah, I mean, people are going to feel bad for him. And Finn goes, no, it is different this time. Melanie walks in and Barba introduces himself. And he was hoping it was somebody else, but evidence, it, it is what it is. And Benson's like, I'm sure we can't even imagine how you're feeling right now. And Finn and Benson and Melanie are talking and we see Sean being dragged out handcuffed by Creasy and Rollins is with Buchanan and he's screaming at them, you can't do this to me again. Um, Is this because I made you look bad because of the lawsuit? Please, I'll stop. No, 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 no. And then Melanie starts crying. It's just like a lot on her. And now we're in court. His friend from the strip club night is on the stand saying how he was joking around about how Ashley should leave Jack for him. And after Ashley was like crying about his her fiance and Sean was like, I'm going to be a millionaire. Like, fuck me. I'm going to get rich. And she was fine and playing along. But then he got drunk and he started acting stupid. So the women left and didn't really like the way he was acting, but that he did feel bad for his drunk behavior. So he went back to their house to apologize and that he really liked Ashley and thought that she was hot and that she liked him too. Um, So is that why he went back? Like to have sex with his crush? Like what is this? Like what's happening? And then there's an objection. And now it's time for Buchanan who's gonna poke some holes in the testimony. And he's such a dick. And he's just like, oh, so you're a mind reader? Any other magical powers you have? So he's laying it on thick (laughs) in terms of grease ball. And we get a peek um, at the judge, and it's Queen Elena Barth. Love her. Um, redhead, that's not the other redhead, Lewis. Lois. Lois. <laughs> oh, yeah. You always call her Judge Louie. <laughs> Now on stand is some sort of professional guy and he's talking about transitioning as a wrongly convicted inmate to a free citizen. And this guy says it's like pretty impossible to do that because, um, you know, you're trying to make sense of everything and it's very trauma inducing. It's a lot to suffer and it's the same kind of trauma as people that are veterans of war or torture survivors like Amud Debas, if you remember that episode from season 11. (laughs) And those who are... I cannot believe that name just popped into my head. Um, But I'm pretty proud of myself. And those (laughs) who were raped a bunch um, in jail, it makes it even harder and it makes dating hard. And like, um, 
you know, it's very easy to misread social cues and it makes it hard to deal with rejection. So there's just like, obviously a lot happens to you when you're in jail um, and wrongly. So expert opinion, um, wrongfully imprisoned, then raped. Like what are the chances he could live a normal life? And this guy goes, impossible. And Buchanan does the classic. We all know what he's about to do. Have you ever met my client? No. Okay, so your expert opinions don't really work with him and are based on other people's testimony and are a complete waste of time. Yes. Um, <laughs> and that's that. So um, very, very complicated case. And we bring in Charlie, who's a mess. <sighs> Rollins says he's not bright. <laughs> Finn and Barbara have an exchange and Finn just doesn't feel like Barbara trusts him or his actions. But Barbara's just like, listen, I do, but I can't put you on. And Finn leaves. And we're in court. Charlie's talking. And I'm like, oh, my God, Buchanan is going to kill your fucking ass. And he does. <laughs> he goes, wow, so you're having fun with your girl on the roof. Good for you, lucky guy. And then it's like, hey, so you were doing drugs. You were drinking. You were fucking. It was dead of night. You're on a roof. And you absolutely saw this man. Like, okay. Well, and then while he's, like, talking on the stand, he goes, well, and Detective Rollins. And then he stops talking. But Buchanan already heard it. So sorry, bro. And and he goes, wait, what about Detective Rollins? And he says, did she tell you to say something? And Charlie goes, no. And they were like, did she encourage you? Like, tell us what went down. And he said, I got a shoulder pat. And I thought she wanted me. So I told her what she wanted to hear because <laughs> I got a shoulder pat. <laughs> and he can't. Um, and he can't tell if the shoulder pat was like before or after or the fucking was before or after Sean. I mean, this kid's a mess. My notes are a mess. We're moving on. Okay. <laughs> so Buchanan asks another question and there's like a big pause and Charlie just like keeps looking at Rollins and Buchanan has to go, hey, I know Rollins is hot, but you got to stop looking at her and start telling the truth. Look at me, Charlie. Why did you say what you did? And he said, I thought she would like it if I said it was, you know, after the fucking. <laughs> so Buchanan's like, so she flirted with you to say what she wanted. And he says, no, I just wanted her to like me and she needed to solve the case. And Buchanan's doing a very, very good job as a lawyer. But shame on them for even putting him on yes, the stand. Yeah, Barbara, come on, buddy. I find it hard to believe Barbara would have done that. Yeah, I hope our friend Robert did not write this episode because we hate this part. <laughs> um, Barbara looks pissed. Benson looks pissed. Amanda looks pissed. Commercial break. <laughs> now we're back and Barbara's screaming at the detectives. Like the principal is mad and he's letting these bad, bad students know that he is pissed. Amanda's like, relax. And he goes, no. <laughs> and then Amanda... <laughs> They all just are not understanding the gravity of the situation. And then Amanda let it slip. Like, how is it my fault this kid had a crush on me? And Benson turns to her like, wait, you knew the kid had a crush on you? And Carisi starts defending his woman and, you know, the future mother of his stepkids. And he goes, hey, you stop that. I was there. And Barbara goes, shut the fuck up. Stop making excuses for her. And Carisi turns it on Barbara and goes, it is not my fault that Buchanan fucking spun that shit and you couldn't do your job. And Benson goes, okay, okay, we're done. Let's stop. So she's defending her number one man, Barba. So there's just like a lot of, you know, Jets versus Sharks. Is that a reference? <laughs> Barba says, like, we're not going to get a conviction with what has happened so far. So we really do need physical evidence. But how are we going to get this evidence? So we're back in court and Finn's on the stand giving the play-by-play -play of his search at Sean's apartment. And Barba asks about the grudge with the defendant. And he says, well, yeah, now that he killed Ashley. And, you know, of course, an objection. 
and it is sustained. And then Finn adds, if anything, I was rooting for the guy when he got out. No grudges. And now it's Buchanan's turn at Finn. And he's like, are you embarrassed? This is, okay, this is when I'm like, Finn, come on. So Buchanan's like, are you embarrassed about putting an innocent man in prison for 16 years? And he goes, nope, I didn't put him there. I just arrested him. And he just did his job and it is the way it is. And that is wild, but it's true, <laughs> but it's wild. Um, and Buchanan just comes for his ass. He's like, you know, would you feel better now if he's found guilty so then all of your reputations will be vindicated that he is an actual criminal? And Ice is like, shut, shut up. Like I said, I did my job then and I did my job now. And he goes, you mean framing Sean Roberts again? Barba, objection. Benson with a dirty stare at Buchanan. And <laughs> now we're at a hot dog stand where Finn is in a, looking fly as hell. Honestly, I think this is the sexiest he's ever looked. He has sunglasses on, like a really nice blue fitted suit like I was just like okay Coco like I don't know I was really happy about this and he's talking to Melanie and he's telling her like this guy is guilty and we will get him and she goes stop I don't know if it's true like nobody really knows and she's like we're all just guessing and connecting the dots and Finn is like I found Ashley's ring in his drain Come on. And she, of course, is just questioning herself with what happened last time. And she doesn't know what to think. And Finn leans in and goes, did you hear his voice or not? Melanie then says, I'm not sure now. And he goes, but you said it at the crime scene. You just have to tell the truth. You don't have to convict him. The jury decides. All you have to do is say the truth. And she is scared. What if she's wrong again? And we cut to Barba. And he's like, what do you mean she won't testify? And Finn goes, yeah, she's not sure anymore. What do you want? And he goes, what the fuck did you say? They're just fighting. This is a really heated episode within yeah. like inner office politics, I would say. I don't think there was a fun drink at the dark mahogany bar after this, you know? <laughs> no. No trips to the cop bar here. <laughs> um, and we had a ADA at our Denver live show. And not an ADA, a detective. And I asked him, like... ADAs and detectives, like, are they friends? And he goes, they're a team. Because here they're always fighting and yeah, yeah, yeah. I need more evidence. Go fuck yourself. But um, they do love each other. I mean, they do. There's some love. There is. But I did like hearing the real detective shout out to you being like, oh, we're a team. I mean, he <laughs> I feel like he glowed when he said like how much he loves his lawyers that he works with. Yeah. <sighs> Benson does defend Finn, though. And, um, you know, it's like he was trying to help. And Barbara goes, whatever. She has to testify. I don't give a shit. And if she's a hostile witness, I don't care. We're getting justice with or without her cooperation. And she's on the stand going, I don't want to do this, Your Honor. And Barbara goes, permission to treat this witness as hostile, please. And the judge is like, Miss Harper, you must answer the questions. And Barbara goes, did you hear his voice, right? She's like, well, I'm not sure now. But you were sure. Um, but she says, I don't think Sean would kill Ashley. He cared for her and his whole life was ahead of him. And Barba keeps nailing her. Like, you heard his voice. You heard his voice. And she goes, yes, but... And her tan is really cute, too. Like, I do wonder if she was in the Bahamas before this taping or yeah, it was like she has a, good a color. personal, like, makeup choice. But she does have a tan, like, that she was just in the Hamptons or something. <laughs> she then says, what... 
I did to Sean was unforgivable. I told the jury he did it and I was wrong. And he's like, that's why you're hesitating, right? And Barbara really like spins some movie magic here. And Barbara says, you blame yourself for your daughter's death, right? You sent this man to prison. That's where he learned to be a killer and a rapist. So if you didn't make that false ID, he would not have gone to prison and then come out and killed your daughter. And if he killed her, then you killed her. And it's too painful to accept. And that's why you don't want to testify. And she starts crying on the stand. She said, um, you know, I sent him there and every time he was beaten or raped, it's my fault. And I turned him into a monster and it was my fault. I'm the guilty one here. And Barwa goes, for you to feel this guilty, you obviously think he killed your daughter, which means you're certain you heard his voice around midnight, correct? And she says yes with tears in her face. Buchanan looks defeated. Sean looks like he feels something, but I can't put a name on it. Like, do you, did you identify a feeling? Yeah. Barbara and Benson are in the hallway and Buchanan comes up to them and says, I'm ready to discuss a plea. And Barbara goes, too late, bitch. And he says, we'll plead guilty to manslaughter. Barbara does not like that because that's only five years for like a brutal rape and murder. But, you know, he already spent 16. So 16 and five is 21. But can you serve backwards time? Like, I don't really know if I have an opinion on this. Like, I see both of their points of view. Uh, Barbara says, if you murder two, serve a minimum of 15. And Buchanan says, done. So I guess that little game that... Barba played really made an, an impact that Buchanan is down to make a 15-year deal. Benson goes, but we need him to allocute and let everyone know we got it right this time. So now it's time for the plea and allocution. And Melanie, um, you know, he says, Melanie, I'm so, so sorry. I know how much you loved Ashley, but I cared for her too. She gave me hope I can start over and she wasn't afraid to be alone with me and didn't look at me like I was dirt like everyone else. So then I proved her wrong. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I mean, we know what's wrong with him. Okay, so he says, but that night I was drunk and I wasn't used to that. And I went to talk to her and to say I was sorry for how I acted at dinner and told her how much, you know, I liked her and she laughed. And, you know, we know this. You can't laugh at a man. You might be murdered. So, yeah, laugh at a man. He will burn you to death. So Melanie is crying. There's like a phrase that's like, men are scared that women will laugh at them. Women are scared that men will kill them. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. (laughs) That's the saying. That's it. Yeah, that's the, like on first dates, like men's fears or that. But Melanie's crying and he said, you can't let people laugh at you. I learned that in prison. And that I understand because I like watching YouTubes of women who've been to prison and they do like little videos. Like how orange is the new black isn't like real prison or like top 10 rules you must follow. And one of them said like, I think I talked about this on the podcast, but Like, if someone budges you in line, it might seem chill, but, like, you need to fucking stand your ground and teach them a lesson because all jail is is lines. And so once people know they could cut you in line, they're going to keep cutting you in line. Yeah, yeah. And so I understand what he's saying, that in prison, like, if someone laughs at you, you need to show them who's boss. And so I get where that comes from. Yeah, but his version of showing who's boss was over the top. Yeah, I'm not not defending Sean. I'm just uh, talking about... Yeah, the the impulse, I understand. Yeah, in jail and being drunk without drink. I mean, it's just fuck you though. But like, he should have confessed immediately. Like to put Melanie through it. Like you are a monster and you do deserve to be in jail or not. I, this is a lot. And it's like what I always say about like, where did you learn the acting skills in jail? Like, he was like, you know, I feel like you'd be like, uh, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. But these guys are like. 
what? It wasn't like, I got to go call Melanie. Like you were like putting on this full act that you're like this dear family friend instead of just being like, nah, you guys got the wrong guy. Like, I don't know. It's just funny where they learn the acting skills. Yeah, like maybe um, Sean William Scott. Not Sean William Scott. <laughs> Scott Winter Peters. What the fuck is our guest's name? <laughs> Scott. William Winters. William Winters, yeah. <laughs> maybe he went over there to teach an acting class. <laughs> so <laughs> that is very inside for only people that have listened. I, I, can't, I can't even talk about that reference. It's insane. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> um. He goes, things happened to me and I swore I wouldn't do it to others, but I did it to Ashley and I didn't want to. It just happened. And Melanie runs out of the courtroom. Benson follows her. Buchanan has the wet eyes. Did you notice Buchanan had like tears in his eyes? Oh, no. Uh, and anger, but I've never seen it before. But he had like welled up waiting tears in his eyes. It, oh, wow. It, uh, yeah. I actually rewound it a few times because I've never seen him with that much emotion. Um, in terms of crying, we've seen him be a dick to <laughs> rape victims. Benson stops Melanie outside. I'm sorry, she says. And she says, I know. And at least I know he did it this time. And Benson says, it's not your fault. And she says, then whose is it? And she walks down the stairs and her life's going to be bad. If we're talking trauma, she might have it. Now, Finn <laughs> joins Olivia. He's wearing sunglasses. He says, bad guy goes down. That's all that matters. And it's like, okay, go home and play video games. You're annoying the shit out of me today. And Benson says, if you ever feel like talking, and he says, talking's overrated. <laughs> Barbara then walks in to replace Finn and says, justice sure isn't pretty some days. And Benson says, well, it sure as hell was ugly this time. And that's Dick Wolf, baby. Whew. Yeah. Yikers. I do love a uh, Benson Barba ending. Yeah. On the court steps. That's not the first time an episode's ended that way. Won't be the last. Okay. Take us through this giant crime because I know it was like, this was like yeah. the jinx and making a murderer kind of were like the big, I think, crime docuseries that created this snowball effect in popularity uh, yeah. and growing. Yes. And I avoided it for some reason, like the plague. So I know nothing. Can't wait. Can't wait. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. <laughs> Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And 
you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. We are back and we are diving into this massive true crime. Uh, This episode aired in September of 2016, which is about nine months after Making a Murderer, a docuseries premiered on Netflix and took the world by storm. I mean, I was obsessed. I watched the whole thing through. And then I remember I took Jared home to my house for Christmas. And um, let's see, we were already married but we went home for Christmas that year and we just watched it again. And he was like, you guys are absolutely ill. Like, what is going on? Like, he could not believe that my family just sat around on Christmas and rewatched a, like a killer documentary. And, um, you know, we just, that's what we enjoy. My sister and I have also famously listened to Serial Podcast twice through on road trips together. Like, we just love murder as a family. So, um, this docuseries was filmed over the course of 10 years. It's very, like, they were very embedded with these people. Yes. Um, And uh, I'm just really excited to be able to share it with you because I don't think you know anything about it, right? No. Yeah. Okay. So, uh... The story starts in 1985 in Wisconsin. Penny Piernsten was jogging along Lake Michigan and was attacked. She was dragged into the woods and sexually assaulted. Um, She identified Stephen Avery, a Wisconsin man age 22, uh, as her attacker in a lineup and from a photo, even though he had an alibi and a time-stamped receipt and 69 witnesses that put him miles away from this assault. So he gets convicted and he goes to jail, much like in the episode, for, you know, raping this woman. And he was in jail for 18 years. And even in 1995, this like makes me very um, annoyed at like, you know, the, the legal system, you know, in just the way this went down. Like in 1995, so 10 years into his sentence, a detective in another county said that an inmate was talking about how he had committed a crime in Manitowoc County, which is where this took place, and that someone else um, was in jail for the crime. And he got in touch with Manitowoc Sheriff, uh, a sheriff deputy, I think, named Thomas Kokorik, and who told them, quote, we already have the right guy. Don't concern yourself with it. And then he served 18 years in prison and the Innocence Project of Wisconsin helped to clear his name. And sure enough, DNA evidence completely exonerated him and pointed to another man whose name was Gregory Allen, who looked pretty much exactly like Stephen and had a history of assaults against women. The cops had an eye on him. And yet, never they never showed a picture of this man to the victim. They never put this man into a lineup the way that Stephen was. And so, was this the man, Gregory Allen, in jail in Manitowoc? Uh, in it, the, the, he was in a different county. But he I was think there. so. I think okay. so. Yes. This article did not make it clear because I asked myself the same question, but I'm pretty sure yes. So it was this guy, Gregory Allen, who, yes, he had been incarcerated for other crimes against women. Like, he was known as, like, a predator. And uh, so, yeah, he went to jail in 1985 and he got released in 2003. And of course, much like in the episode of SVU, he promptly filed a civil suit against Manitowoc County for $36 million for his wrongful conviction. And, you know, 
The Avery family, I wouldn't say was beloved. They were kind of, they're they're sort of like rural people, not very educated. They, uh, a lot of them got in trouble with the law. Like Stephen had already been in trouble for burglarizing a bar and other things. Um, they, the law enforcement in the town seemed to like have it out for the family. Um, Stephen, I'm going to give a trigger warning right now for our cat lovers out there. You're going to want to do a fast forward 30 seconds, maybe a minute on this one. <laughs> Annalisa's um, going to jet from this taping. <laughs> yeah. She's but, not sticking around. <laughs> he did get uh, convicted of animal cruelty for dousing a cat in gasoline and throwing it into a bonfire um, and just like watching it burn. So he, you know, it's he had some criminal tendencies of cruelty. And um, he also tried to run a sheriff's wife off the road in his car. His older brother was charged and later acquitted for sexual assault, but also for domestic violence against his wife and later was charged with sexual assault of a child but pleaded no contest to fourth-degree sexual assault and battery and spent only 45 days in jail and three years on probation for that charge. I don't... There's not more information on this, but the family is not um, great. Yeah. Oh, so I'm sorry. The older brother was the sexual assault case that was acquitted. The younger brother was the the other charges, I said. So both of his brothers have all these issues. Um, And so... As they illustrate in this episode, um, it was very hard for Stephen when he got out of prison. He was depressed. He was frustrated. He got into, uh, he was getting in a lot of fights with his family over the family business. They had a salvage yard, like an auto salvage yard. Um, See, I knew nothing about it, but I did sense salvage yard vibes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I think that's kind of like part of what people sort of liked gawking at in the documentary series was like, oh yeah, these like yokel kind of Wisconsin people that have like really thick accents and like have a salvage yard. You know, it's like, they're just regular people. But, you know, I think that was a lot of making fun of the accents, making fun of the like, you know, ruralness of it was part of the, I feel like the virality of that um, docuseries. So anyway... Yeah, his life was frustrating when he got out of prison. He had was fighting with his family over the business. He got divorced. His relationship with his kids basically disappeared. Um, but his family did say that, you know, a couple years later, things were turning around for him. Uh, he had a new girlfriend named Jody Stakowski. That's like another thing I remember from the, like from the show, he'd be like, Jody, I'm going to buy you a jet ski. Like, you know, people would like quote the quote, making a murderer, like, and uh, they were planning a wedding, apparently him and his girlfriend. And he was working full-time at the salvage yard and he'd gotten 25 grand from the Wisconsin claims board. And there was apparently maybe more coming. And then he had these two power lawyers from Milwaukee, Stephen Glynn and Walter Kelly, who were uh, representing him in his $36 million wrongful conviction suit. So he had, you know, big plans. Like his dad said, uh, I read this really good article about this that'll be in our um, show notes in uh, Milwaukee Magazine. And Stephen, the dad said, Stephen's dad said, Stevie had everything going for him, everything, and he was happy. So that's like the state of mind in 2005, okay? Then Halloween of 2005, Teresa Hallback, a young woman, she's 25 years old. She's a photographer. She works and takes photographs um, for Auto Trader Magazine. So when people are going to sell their cars in this magazine, she'll go out and take photos of the car. And uh, she went out to the Avery Family Salvage Yard to take photos of a minivan that Stephen was selling for his sister. And Stephen is the one that made the appointment, even though it was the sister's car. And he apparently called... Teresa Halbach's cell a couple of times and in a, or maybe three times and in like two of the times he did that thing where you call your, you hide your number. Is that star six, six? 
Star 69? Oh, that's how you find out. Star, Star 69 six, is how seven. you call back, right? Star 66 six is how you like mask your Not 66. Six. It's got to be 67. It's just too close to the devil. I can't imagine yeah. like phone companies choosing 66. Yeah, it's 67. There's no air country. Annalisa's at 67. Yeah, it is, I didn't it is know Star that. 67. I'm a devil worshiper. And yeah. And that's why I was, uh, I'm sorry. I am in the midst of a satanic panic and I yeah. apologize. Yes, you I'm sorry. You so, guys think that Rosie is in Montessori, but she's actually <laughs> in a She's Satan in a preschool. witch school that I put her into. Um, Have you seen that clip of that little girl where they're like, you're going to change the world? And she goes, no, I'm going to, I'm evil. I'm going to turn everyone into a witch. Have you seen that kid? No. Oh, it's cute. And then the end, she goes, I'm just kidding. But people send it to me going, she reminds me of you. But um, <laughs> it's a really funny kid. That's really cute. Okay, I'm going to try to find that. Next time I see it, I'll uh, send it over to Forward you. Forward it over, yeah. Um, but so he called her a couple times on her cell and was hiding his number. Like, that's kind of sketchy. And he apparently when he called Auto Trader, he was like, send the girl you sent last time or something. So it's like he was specifically requesting her. Um and so what happens next, this is an account from witnesses, but including his nephew, Brendan Dassey. Okay, so apparently what happens is she shows up, knocks on the door of Stephen Avery's uh, house. No one answers, and so she goes around to the back of the trailer where she's out of view from other people. He opens the door, and he's wearing a towel. He must have told people that, because I don't know how anyone else would have known that. And somehow she enters Stephen Avery's home, and nobody knows whether it was on her own accord or not, okay? Brendan Dassey, Stephen's 16-year-old nephew, shows up from school, checks the mail, and and there's a letter in the mail for her his uncle, so he goes to bring it to his uncle's trailer. And apparently he hears screams as he's approaching the trailer. And according to Brendan, when his da uncle comes to the door, he is sweaty from like, you know, he says, like, having sex with some woman or something. And he asks, do you want to come in and take a turn? And when he walks in, Bre Brendan reports that Teresa is shackled to the bed naked, face up, spread eagle, and begging him, like, don't do this, don't do this, please, you know, begging for her life. And he said he raped her while his uncle watched. He then said that they went and watched TV for a few minutes and that his uncle then explained that they were going to kill her. And then they went into the room. Stephen stabbed her then told Brendan to cut her neck. He did it. And then Stephen told him, cut her hair. So he did that. And then Avery choked Teresa for a few, couple of minutes. And then they untied her body from the bed, tied her up with rope, and carried her to the garage. At this point, she is dead. And this they, is fucked up. It's super fucked up. But wait for it. So then they place the body in the trunk of the car. And then Avery tells Dassey that he was planning to uh, dump the body in a pond that's by the salvage yard, but the pond was dry. So he decides, okay, I'll just burn her in the fire pit that's behind our garage. And there was already like a fire going in it. So before they carried her there, apparently, according to Brendan, Avery put her on the garage floor and walked to his house, got a semi-automatic rifle, and then fired 10 rounds into her body. What the fuck? Yes. Then with Dassey in the part passenger seat, he said Avery drove the RAV4 to the far side of the salvage yard, passing the car crusher. He could have just crushed the car, but he just drove it past and said, I'm going to crush this car later. Then Avery uh, walked back to the trailer and apparently stashed the Toyota ignition key in a drawer and then took all the sheets off the bed and put them on the fire pit. And Brendan reported that while he was helping his uncle wipe down the garage floor, he did get bleach on his blue jeans and it turned the fabric white. And his mom later confirmed that he had stained his pants while helping his uncle clean the garage around Halloween. This motherfucker so, better be in prison. Well, hold and on. And the nephew. 
Or so, fucking yeah. hang, like let's bring back hanging. Public well, hanging this is what's, come back. This is what's like, I'm sure people that watch Making a Murder are like, Lisa, wait, because like there's more. <laughs> so a few days later, obviously, Teresa's family reports are missing. It's and like, the, wait, the, there's more like infomercial, like in Drag Race, but sadder. <laughs> um. So... A couple days after she goes missing, she's very beloved. Like, she has a close-knit family. Her family's, like, looking for her desperately. Um, all the people in the, in the community are looking for her, for this, like, nice young girl. And so there's a search party, and they're checking the Avery salvage yard because, like, you know, there's proof that she was headed there. Like, this was, like, you know. And so... Uh, the search party goes to search the salvage yard, and honestly... Stephen's brother said, yeah, go ahead, search the salvage yard. And they find her RAV4 with the license plates removed um, underneath a bunch of, like, brush, and they've got, like, some, you know, car hoods and, and auto parts kind of, like, covering it. So it looks like it's trying to be hidden. So then later they find her crumpled license plates in a scrapped car down the road from Avery's trailer. They did find some spent rifle casings in his garage and a pair of handcuffs and leg irons in his house. And in his bathroom, uh, apparently on the surface of the vanity, there were some dried blood spots. So then the Manitowoc County, they have been relieved of the case because it is a conflict of interest because of this lawsuit. Um, and so like another, not another county, but another sheriff's department is covering it, but they're using Manitowoc deputies to help them. So a Manitowoc deputy finds the key to Hallback's RAV4, which by the way, is the car I drive. And when my family found out that I got a RAV4, they were like, oh my God, what are you, Teresa Hallback? Like, the, you know, it was like a lot of, I was getting a lot of flack for it, but they look very different than they did in 2005. Anyway, um, he finds a key to her car. It just like falls out of a book. And in the documentary, they heavily imply that this key could have been planted because this is like a sheriff from the, the town that is under the lawsuit that has targeted this family for years. And anyway, so in a six by six foot fire pit behind Avery's garage, they did find human tissue, teeth and bones um, that was crushed and charred. And then in a barrel used to burn trash, they did find a cell phone and a camera. Um, and... Eventually, Avery's blood was found on Teresa's car and DNA from his sweat was found on the key that they found. So DNA exonerated him and then puts him back in prison. So 11 days after Teresa's gone missing, Avery is charged, arrested and charged with murder, kidnapping, sexual assault, and mutilation of a corpse. What about the um, nephew? Hold on, it's coming. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. <laughs> he immediately begins claiming that this is a frame job from Manitowoc County to avoid paying his civil suit. And if you do look at it, it is kind of like, why would this man do this? He had he stood to gain all this money. He's been out for two years. Here's the other thing. When they go and they search the bedroom, this bedroom where apparently this bloody, violent murder and rape happened, there's no blood. There's no blood anywhere. There's no blood in the garage where apparently he shot her 10 times with, and I know he had bleach, but like, I just, if you see this man, you're like, this is not a criminal mastermind. This is not someone, it's like what you were saying about Scott Peterson. Like, there's just no way that so little evidence would be found like DNA or blood if this is where the murder happened. So a lot of people don't think the murder happened in the trailer um, because, and I'll, and I'll get to it. 
So he immediately starts claiming it's a frame job. His lawyers argued that a sample of his blood that had been taken a decade earlier in his appeals process for the rape had been tampered with. There was a puncture hole in it. So like a Manitowoc deputy very well could have taken a smear of blood, put it on Teresa Hallback's car. It was a small, small amount of blood of his that they found. So um, the documentary really does toy with you. Like they have people talking about how Steven used to like, yeah, torture cats, even like before his rape, wrongful rape conviction. But then the doc also like very much demonizes the prosecutor, Ken Kratz, and the whole law enforcement in the area. Like Ken Kratz was like fully clowned from this documentary. Like, he has, like, a dog named Cheddar. My brother used to, like, send us photos of Ken Kratz and his dog named Cheddar. Like, I don't know. It's just, he, when you see the guy, he's very whiny, like, the way he talks in a documentary. And it's like, you just hate Ken Kratz, even if he's doing the right thing. You just hate him when you're watching it. And um, you just don't know. You're like, this could be a frame. Who knows? And I used to think, when I watched it, I was like, this man is innocent. But I thought that about Adnan Syed. I'm very... Like, I don't know. I guess I'm a glass is half full when it comes to a, like a accused person. I'm When I think that there might be wrongfully accused, I'm like, no, they didn't do it. I'm very susceptible to this kind of documentarianism and journalism. So um, after this aired, Stephen started to become represented by Kathleen Zellner, who is a very hotshot Chicago lawyer who does a lot of these wrongful convictions and stuff like that. She's featured a little bit at the end of Making a Murder Season 1, and she's, like, the main character of Season 2, and she's just this very funny, like, rich woman, like, rich-looking lawyer woman who, like, talks about it. And she's still filing appeals for Avery today. In 2006, he ended up settling for his wrongful rape conviction for 400 k which was supposed to be $36 million. And, um... The Innocence Project has exonerated 174 people, and as of 2006, Stephen Avery was the only one to be charged with a violent crime after release. So here's one of the most controversial things in the document, and that is the role that Avery's nephew, Brendan Dassey, may or may not have played in this crime. So first of all, Brendan was Stephen's alibi at first. So when they bring him in, he's 16. He has an extremely low IQ. So this is, I believe, where they're getting some of the Charlie uh, Hornsby, what's the guy's name? Charlie, whatever, the guy in the episode that wants to fuck Rollins. Like, that the guy, we were saying he might have some kind of disorder. I think he just has a very low IQ. So he was in special ed classes, and they brought this kid in. They interrogated him multiple times, hours at a time, no parent, no counsel present. Okay, this is a kid that just wants to get out of there. They keep telling him, if you just tell us what happened, you can go back to school. You know, they're doing all these tactics that are approved for questioning adults, but not for questioning like 16-year-old like kids with low IQs. You know, it's like, it doesn't feel I mean, like a yeah, fair but I confession. Don't, yeah, but I don't care what your IQ is. If you fucking raped this person and did any but of listen, this or slit her throat, he, like, I don't give a fuck. He later said that he made it all up and it was from a book that he read. And a lot of people have written, and there's there's sources to this in our show notes, a lot of people think that he is retelling the plot of James Patterson's book, Kiss the Girls. Have you seen that movie or read that book? I like that you asked for the movie first. That was shade. Um, <laughs> but I have read the book and I was a big James Patterson head in okay, junior high. That's why, I, that's why I added the book. Um, because I knew that you liked James Patterson. <laughs> and here's the thing. 
a lot of people did like all this comparison where they, at first they, he said he read it in a book, but what they really think is that he watched the movie of Kiss the Girls because a lot of the stuff that ha- that he said happened is in Kiss the Girls and is in the movie and not in the book. Whoa. And so, yeah, he later completely recanted his confession, said he was making all this stuff up. There is not a lot of evidence of Teresa's assault happening in the trailer. Like I said, like there being no blood on this bed where you said that you cut her throat open, he stabbed her in the stomach. There's no blood. Okay, like, sure, I just, but, but what about the teeth and the things? And the woman oh, is dead. She's dead. She was killed there. But I think there there is a lot of reasonable doubt where some people think, okay, let me just, okay. Go back, yeah. Let me just go back, because, okay, so just to finish off the Brendan part, so um, the cops all told him he could just go home, so he just made up a bunch of shit so he could get the fuck out of there. And you can tell in his confession tapes, which are in the doc, that he has no idea what he's talking about. And that, like, so then there's this whole kiss the girls uh, connection. He later completely recanted his confession. His initial lawyer was a guy named Len Kaczynski, who is also villainized in the in the doc and is not a good lawyer. He came on after the confession and he's like, there's no way a jury's going to acquit this kid, even though there was zero DNA tying him to the murder. His DNA was nowhere. So you're telling me this kid raped the girl, slit her throat, did all this, no DNA of this kid? No, because a lot this of this part of it did not happen, in my opinion. And this was one of Wisconsin's biggest criminal investigations ever. Like, people said that when the salvage yard, when the car was found, the whole salvage yard became, like, a full CSI episode. Like, no one in or out. Like, they set up a full, like, freestanding building to examine her car in so they wouldn't have to move it very far. Like, there was DNA taken from every fucking surface, nothing tying Dassey to this assault or this murder. So when Kaczynski couldn't get the confession thrown out, he basically told Dassey to get a plea deal. He's like, do a plea deal. And so the, a lot of people think that he had ineffective counsel and that he should not be in jail because of this coerced confession and ineffective counsel and all this stuff. So he set up another meeting with Dassey and the authorities and then he didn't show up, the lawyer. He was like away serving in the army reserve or something. And so a judge removed him from the case. And now Dassey is represented by Stephen Drizzen and Laura Nyrider, who are professors at Northwestern's um, Uh, Center of Wrongful Convictions of Youth, and they are experts in the false confessions from juveniles. And in 2016, or no, I believe it was in 2017, a judge actually ruled that his confession was coerced, and then like another appellate judge or circuit court said, no, it was fine. So there was a huge day where all of us were like, Brendan Dassey's getting out of jail, because a lot of people think Stephen Avery is involved in this murder, probably me too, but a lot, but uh, there is kind of no evidence that it happened the way Brendan said or that Brendan had anything to do with it. Like, he just, like, no one thinks he has the capacity to, like, really, oh, well, his uncle threatened him. He was just, like, a pawn. It's still, like, a, 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 it, there's just not, there's just not the evidence that Brendan had anything to do with it besides this wild confession. And so he's still in jail and still filing for appeal and still filing for parole. And is Stephen Avery still filing, like, appeals, too? Or yes. he's just so chilling? So Stephen Avery is still... Kathleen Zellner is still on it. She's still doing appeals for him. The last article I saw was from the end of 2021. And um, they're trying to get, you know, new habeas corpus. Uh, so here's a here's a thing I found out. There's a theory in the doc. When you watch the doc, Brendan Dassey has a brother named Bobby Dassey and a stepfather named Scott Taddock. 
And I believe in the documentary, they say that they were both home at the same at the time of, you know, Teresa's arrival at the home and disappearance. And there was like some people saying that, oh, a witness saw them driving away in Teresa's car and then saw it circle back. Like all this stuff that the cops really didn't pay attention to because they were like, no, it's Steven, it's Steven, it's Steven. So there's this possibility that people think that this father and son did it, that they took her somewhere else and murdered her and then burned her in the back of the family salvage yard. And that's why there's no physical mm. evidence of the murder anywhere on the property. So this is like what got people fucking boners up on Reddit. You know, like this is what was happening. Like I'm not even a big Reddit person. I was like on Reddit reading theories. Like I was so into this like thinking just like, why would this guy fucking do this? Like, he knows he's going to get caught. This wasn't like a crime of passion where a woman yelled at him like they said in the episode. This seems thought out that he had her come out there to kill her, knowing that they have cell phone calls together. People are going to be wondering where she is. You know what I mean? It just like doesn't all hold together. So did anyone ever investigate this dad-son duo? I don't think so. I don't think it was like they, I think they were each other's alibis and it was like, it just wasn't a thing. And I don't know if the witnesses were credible, but now they're saying that there's a potential new witness who was not evaluated at this most recent um, appeal process, but could still be presented later in another court hearing. And this witness is a delivery driver named Thomas Sowinski, who claims to have seen, quote, a shirtless Bobby Dassey um, and an, quote, unidentified older male pushing a Toyota RAV4 down Avery Road towards the junkyard in the early morning hours of November 5th, according to court documents filed by Zellner in April. But did Steven say that he opened the door and let her in? Like, was that ever confirmed? I don't know. Like, the towel? So there's a lot of circumstantial evidence. Um, it's just hard to say... Like, you know, if Steven's innocent, maybe this was just a regular day in his life, like the way that Adnan Syed claims it was a regular day in his life in, you know, his junior year of high school or senior year of high school or whatever. So, I don't know. I think this is one of the reasons why people are so obsessed with this case because this is a guy who served all this time. Certainly, if he killed Teresa Hallback, she doesn't... Her justice does not lie on his false conviction. Like, he doesn't get, like, back pay for jail time. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't get to use his jail time to commit other crimes. But I don't know. It just seems like the motive seems really difficult when he was standing to earn millions of dollars. If not the whole $36 million, he could have... Even a million dollars would have changed this guy's life, you know? So I just find it hard to believe that he would have just, like, lured a girl out to his um, house, killed her and thought he could get away with it. It just doesn't seem like he's smart enough for that. So, I don't know. For sure, but if someone has this low-ass IQ, you don't think about the future. Like, I don't think you're weighing out options and, like, what's going to happen or consequences. Like, I don't I know, think but then it's like his family someone. tries to say that he was. His family's like, he was working hard. He wanted to buy a house. He was looking forward to marrying his girlfriend. Like, if you're in jail for 18 years for something you didn't do, like, wouldn't you kind of do anything to not go back there? Like... I don't know. Well, and that's the thing. And SVU didn't talk about this, but like my, she is a listener of the podcast. So if I fuck up facts, she'll let us know. But I worked with someone and her mom dated someone that spent 25 years in prison. And then they were living together and like he would still sleep in his prison outfit and like sleep on the floor curled up and still had all these weird habits from prison. Like, yeah. 
and could not really break out of it. And they had a weird relationship, obviously. But, and he was going blind, whatever. Um, Hit me up, girl, (laughs) if any of this (laughs) is real or not. But that stuck with me forever. But he would like still wear his prison jumpsuit and like couldn't get out of that. So maybe maybe buying a house, getting married and all these real life things were too overwhelming and stressful and he wanted to be back in prison. Yeah, maybe. He is still maintaining his innocence. Like he's been saying from the jump, this is a frame job from the Manitowoc County, you know, um, Sheriff's Department. Like, why would he have kept the key to the car? Why wouldn't he have like thrown that into a field or something? You know what I mean? Like... There's a lot. I guess maybe I'm thinking, maybe I'm being too... But so you think this uncle or like this other duo, dad and son duo, like... I mean, I do think it's a little bit wild that out of nowhere, this new witness comes up being like, yeah, I saw these alternate people that could easily have been involved and like, where were where have you been, where, sir? Where like, where been? have you been? I know you're a truck dri- delivery driver. Have you been on a 15-year? Like, I mean... This has, case happened 17 years ago, and, like, we're just hearing now that you saw these people pushing this car. I don't know. Um, but I'm just hoping that our comment section today will be popping, because I am yeah. curious to know what everyone is thinking. Like, obviously, there's Occam's razor, right? Like, the simplest solution is probably the right solution. Like, it seems like it should just be Stephen Avery, but just seems like there's a few things that, and the documentary toys with that, you know, like there's just a few things that you're like, that doesn't really add up. And like, you know, I do think that Brendan Dassey should be like allowed out of jail. I don't think he had anything to do with it, but um, that is the case. Well, yeah, he had bad counsel. Yeah. And a judge almost over, a judge overturned his confession. And then another court said, no, it's upheld. So it's just like, I remember, like, getting a Twitter alert that Brendan Dassey's getting out of jail. And I was like, all right. And then it just totally, like, didn't work out. Like, another judge blocked him from getting out of jail. But also, it's like the more we learn about everything, like, judges are just guys. Just girls. Yeah. Just peeps. Yeah, it's just funny. It's like, to me, okay, we're trusting this investigation with the same in the same hands, essentially, as handled the investigation where this man went to jail for 18 years for, for no reason. I do think it probably makes the most sense that he had something to do with it, but... But also, cops fuck up all the time for lots of different reasons, constantly. It doesn't matter if it's Manitowoc or Milwaukee or whatever fucking other city you want to point to in Wisconsin. I'm sure they're fucking up and being lazy, like most of the cases that we cover. No, I know. I just, I can kind of, I don't necessarily always buy, oh, they're framing me. But I kind of almost buy it here because this this sheriff's office this of this county hates this family. And that's what they talk about a lot in the doc. They set that up a lot. So anyway, I can't wait to see the comment section. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. I'm very on the, I was a total Stephen Avery is innocent person for like two years after this came out. And then as time went on, I was like, yeah, he probably did it. So I don't know. Well, and also like it is, you are right in terms of like small town politics versus like big city politics. And I know people from this um, town, this area. No, you don't. Yes, I do know somebody who's from that place. And it's funny when they're like, they'll just be like, yes, I'm from the Stephen Avery area. Like, yeah, like, so. Thank you so much. I'm going to watch Thank you for listening. I'm glad I could give you this sort of like, um, you know, moral and... Well, because Judicial I thought that brain episode twister. was so fucked up. And then to hear the details of how this woman was murdered makes me sick. But that might, but that that is probably not how it happened. Of course, she was probably murdered in a horrible way, but I don't think that's what happened. 
what I described to you. I know. Just the idea of all that's left of you is teeth. I know. I know. Brutal. It's like you hope that the death part was like quick and painless and that, you know, then they can just, you know, ugh. Well, I do want to say that we have an epic guest, one of the greatest of all time, and it was a joy and a pleasure. And so that, I think you'll all be really fucking excited who we're about to talk to. Okay, guys, today's guest, we are so excited. I've been wanting to get this guy since the jump of this podcast. I've always wanted to have him on. Uh, You have seen him in pivotal roles on iconic dramas like The Wire and Ray Donovan. And currently, you can catch him on an HBO Max original miniseries called We Own This City. But you guys know him as the defense attorney that you love to hate, Mr. John Buchanan. Please check out our very fun interview with Delaney Williams. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I did a stand-up show at the Kennedy Center a few weeks ago, and I talked to one of your former students. Like, I was doing a radio right? show. I was doing radio or press or something, I don't remember. And then afterwards, she goes, by the way, and said that you were amazing and a great teacher, and like she loved working with you. Oh, that's very kind of you to say, and yeah. kind of her to say. <laughs> I, mu- I, I must have paid her well. <laughs> I don't know. No, it made us even more excited because obviously your character, one of the most evil defense attorneys in the 23 season <laughs> history. Do people yell at oh you in the streets God. or what? A little bit, yeah. My, I have... Uh, I have no friends on Twitter. I have only enemies, as Buchanan. So. Yeah, you, you, we, we follow you on Twitter. Our, our podcast does, and you are very active on there. What's your, what's the draw to Twitter for you? Do you like? Do you just like to get yelled at? <laughs> no, no, no. The, the Twitter thing kind of came around for me um, when the pandemic happened. Uh, just to get out in the world, I guess I started getting more active on Twitter, and it's you know it's part of the business for sure. And SVU is taught me a lot. Mariska and Warren and those guys were like, yeah, this is what we do. I'm like, cool. Yeah, they're very active on social and the fan, the fandom is very active too. And yeah. I find, we find sometimes that the fans have a hard time separating the actors from the people. So, oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure you do get some unnecessary hate. Um, yeah, I understand that that's where they're coming from, but uh, for the most part, everybody in the end understands that, you know, the actor right. is the actor, but it weighs on you a little bit. But I do yeah. always say, because we like to play a game, like, if you're guilty, who are you hiring? And I would hire Buchanan if I needed yeah. to get there we go. away with murder. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, so only if you're guilty is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, if I didn't <laughs> wow. do it, I would go for one of the, like, like an Annie Potts, whoever hers, you know, like a do-gooder. Sure, sure, I got you. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that you're, you automatically have the in with the jury then. Yeah, yeah. Like, we like her. Yeah. So have you, you ever, like, were there any scripts that you got that you were like, oh my God, this has gone too far? Or like a case that really like stuck with you or something that um, just haunted you where you were like, oh my God, I didn't know shit like this happens. Like, are any of your episodes stand out to you? Uh, they all kind of stand out to me, but okay. it's, uh, it's probably not going to be for reasons that um, that the viewers would know, because it's all behind the scenes stuff that generally it's it ha- or a particular scene where nothing really particular happened, but it was an enjoyable day. So most of the, you know, I I don't know how many of these. Well, you could 10, tell us 12, those; they'll love those. Fifteen, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> we love scoop. 
<laughs> well, they're not uh, so much scoop as I just had great experiences. Do you know, for instance, this one, uh, I had the one I was told we were talking about today, which is um, making the rapist. Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember the individual episodes all that well, especially this one's like six, seven years old. Um, but I did remember that I believe it was uh, Henry and Kelly Williams. Yeah, because I watched it last night. So, and Joe Biden, uh, President Biden. Yeah are in this episode. And of course, he was vice president at the time. It sort of stands out for that for the reason that uh, as the closest I got to a vice president Biden was I got the air conditioning unit that the Secret Service used prior to it being in my dressing room. So that's, <laughs> I was I was close to the air conditioning unit that was close to the Secret Service unit that was. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, that also was uh, the episode where I got to take my sons uh, to set, which, you oh. know, if you know any of my work, uh, they, they're they 20 and 22 now, but they were like 14 and 16 then. And um, I live in D.C. and most of my work's in New York or somewhere else. And um, so they never got to see me at work and they've never got to see what I actually shoot because most of my jobs are, you know, not safe for young children, uh, <laughs> including, as for you, uh, I got to show them a couple of minutes once of one where uh, Alec Baldwin was in it. And he was sitting, he, you know, he was the main character of the episode, obviously, and he was sitting behind me in the gallery. So I showed him a few minutes of that. And I was so proud that they were going to be like, there's dad doing the acting that he says he does. And uh, all they could say was, you know, Jack Donaghy? <laughs> I was like, okay, so I know where I am. But the, I, I got a chance to take him to set on on that day. Um, Did they think it was cool, or were they like trying to be like, we don't care, Dad? Even though probably deep down they thought it was cool. Or craft yeah, services? Think, Did they run to oh, the craft they, services? They, they got all the swag with the hats and the stuff from uh, great folks there. I mean, it's the best uh, job an actor can have too. They're just wonderful folks, and um, they didn't get to meet everybody. I I know they met Raul because uh, Raul and I were working a lot opposite each other. That was such a great rapport we had doing the um, Barba and Buchanan stuff. And he worked at, he was working there and they got to meet him. They got to watch from Video Village. So, because it was a very busy day. They couldn't even come with me to set because um, Joe Biden was working in the morning. And so uh, ah. the, it was very limited. I couldn't even bring them with me. So I had to have friends bring them over after the uh, vice president left. And uh, uh, then they got to be on set. So wow, <laughs> anyway, yeah. it was a lot of fun for them. And they enjoyed it, I think. I know so, they did. Uh, that's awesome. That's really fun when you get to show your kids what you do. Uh -huh. oh, it's everything. My kids are really, I have two kids too, and they're very young. So I imagine one day they'll be like, what's podcasting? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Which um, is what I asked when I, well, no, it wasn't. This is the very first podcast I've done. I've only. No. Yes. Cool. And, uh, I've never listened to one or seen one, That which is not true. We, we worked this out last night. My friend, uh, Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. She talked me through your podcast. Said, "What's gonna ha What's gonna happen?" Because I asked, "What's gonna happen on this?" And uh, and so she talked me through it. And um, we talked about the fact that I had never been on one, let alone I had never seen one or heard one, let alone been on one. And uh, 
then I, I remembered that I had actually heard the first couple of episodes of Serial. And I was right. like, this is great. I'm going to get back to this. And that was eight, 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> that was oh my God. I... I listened to Serial through twice. And I bet you'd really like it because it's all the Baltimore area, which is not oh, yeah, yeah. Su- super far from you. Like, it's really, really, oh, I love Serial. Yeah. Well, we're excited to be your first one. Oh my God. Yeah. So I was curious about like how your whole SVU thing started. Like, did you audition? Like, I know you had already been on another another Law & Order before. Criminal Intent. Yeah, Criminal Intent. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I I could not tell you. The vagaries <laughs> of, of how I get hired are almost <laughs> always beyond me. But I can tell you that I read your uh, both of your bios. One of you blew an audition. Yeah, yeah that was me. That was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Congratulations. You joined the club. Yeah. I am absolutely certain I blew my first SVU audition, however long ago that was, 20 years ago. Um, but uh, I had, I did get um, hired to do Criminal Intent, and I think that led to, because um, Warren Light was the showrunner of that show when I was hired to do it, and uh, so much fun. <laughs> Being, I, I get to play the dead body on Law and Order. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was so much fun. And another one I couldn't show my kids; they were so young. But uh, uh, if you haven't seen it, I won't spoil it for you. But he ends, and it, he doesn't end well, and he ends early. So I, I showed him right up to the part where Dad ends. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure I was hired originally when David Platt was the showrunner, and I had worked with him on The Wire in Baltimore. He had directed couple of episodes, I think. And uh, so my first episode as Buchanan was 2010-ish, mm-hmm. yeah, something like that. And uh, I believe David and Peter Lito were the showrunners at the time. And, and uh, I think that's how I got on. And then I was brought back, I guess they, whenever they needed someone to defend some rich scumbag from Hudson <laughs> yeah. University or something. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, here I come. Let's be the bad guy for the bad guys. So, Well, not to keep jumping around, but you did mention The Wire. Okay. How yeah. does it feel to be in such a beloved show? Do your sons, have your sons watched that? I mean, that's considered one of the greatest shows of, in television history. Yeah, I, I hear that. And I, I agree. I mean, yeah. it's one of my favorite shows that I've ever seen. And of course, it's the reason I still work in this business. I live in D.C. and um, that opens open the doors for me everywhere, including, I'm sure, through the Law and Order folks. But um, they've never seen it, as far as I know. My old, eldest might be. He's out there <laughs> doing his thing. But my 20-year-old, I know, hasn't seen any of it yet. And I, I it's one of those things where it's like, they're not really interested because dad takes it, takes him out of it. Um, but I think at some, at some point in the future, they both said, yeah, we'll watch that. I'm like, great. I you know, enjoy it. Um, and, and I did. I haven't seen it in, well, 20 years or 15, whenever it ended. I remember enjoying watching it, which I don't when I'm watching me at all. I mm. can barely watch Law & Order SVU <laughs> because I... <laughs> You know, I'm that guy who's like, yeah, I can't look at him. He's a terrible actor. But uh, <laughs> so I'm one of those people who doesn't like to watch themselves. But it was great doing that show. It opened all the doors and it, it's an important story. And we're getting ready to release another one. I don't know if you know, um, another David Simon, George Pelicanos, Ed Burns production set in Baltimore called 
We Own the City. Um, it's coming out on HBO Max at the end of April, the 25th, wow. I believe. Oh, amazing. And are you a lawyer in this or are you a cop? I or play, what? It's, a, it's a different story than, it's about the city of Baltimore, but it's not the fictional telling of, it's a fictionalized telling of uh, nonfiction. Mm-hmm. So I play uh, a version of uh, Kevin Davis, who is a police commissioner in Baltimore. After Freddie Gray happens, he gets promoted to commissioner. And then while the gun trace task force is being um, brought out into the public. So I play Kevin Davis during those couple of years. I think it's 2015, 16, 17, 18, right in there. So Kevin Davis is a real person. That he is, is a real a, that person. Are, and you're playing this real person. Okay, gotcha. John Bernthal is playing a real person. Josh Charles is playing a real person. Jamie Hector, these are the leads of the series, are, uh, and Jamie Hector from The Wire. Um, and ba- and and he's from Bosch, right? She's obsessed yes, with absolutely. Bosch. He was She's just obsessed. in an episode. <laughs> no, but he was just in an episode of SVU that we covered. He was in an oh, SVU okay. episode a long time ago. I'm just making oh, okay. connections. <laughs> okay, yeah. So um, those, they are playing real folks, and um, Umi Masako is playing... I don't know. You'd have to ask the the writers, but um, I think it's a an amalgamation of people who are central to telling the story. Mm. And how's the prep work to playing a real person versus you know a Buchanan? I got a chance to meet Kevin, and uh, it was great. It was very helpful because um, I recorded some conversation with him and some video, and and there's video of him. Um, not actually playing him. I'm still playing a version of him, but it allows me to, um, as the actor, and I'm getting a little actory here, but <laughs> it allowed me to um, just keep reminding myself not to act, not to um, create any more character than the man I knew and know, Kevin Davis. And in this particular telling of the story, it's also... You know, these are all the real people. But then on the opposite side of that is like a Buchanan type character. How did you, how do you, how, like, I'm, con- I'm, I'm curious as to like how much of that is on the page versus what you put into it. Cause like when you're in this episode, I'm, I'm sure you don't remember because it was so long ago, but like you have this, like you're, you're interviewing this like teen kid on the stand. You're about to cross examine right. him and you go, Hello, Charlie. You do this like little <laughs> condescending wave, like right. you're about to, like you're about to destroy this kid. And I just wonder, like, I'm like, is that on the page? Is that you? Like, how how did you create Buchanan? Like, versus what did they give you? What did they tell you? Well, I after the first episode or two, and the things I guess I had brought to um, that character, they sort of when it was Buchanan, they were writing for. I think they wrote towards that sort of um, uh, disposition and those sort of tactics. And then you play them. I mean, for instance, in that, I, I remember that this this episode, I remember also because the guests were fabulous. Henry was fabulous. Uh, Kelly Williams is just amazing. And um, this kid, Cody, I think his name is, uh, who <laughs> played Charlie, I just saw him in, again, in Mara of Easttown. He was fabulous. And uh, uh, he was fabulous. He gave a, an amazing performance in this. And it was, so it was easy for me to take what was, you know, you know, it's minimal in the script, what they give you. 
Um, but you understand the sense of it, or at least I try to understand the sense of it. You try and create the real life of that moment. So um, knowing who the character of Charlie was and how best uh, how best Buchanan might approach him. And that's where that came from, just to like get on Charlie's good side. I remember that. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and so he'd, he'd be as friendly to me and then he gave up the goods. So as it were. Well, yeah, we love an in-court confession. We love <laughs> an in-court breakdown. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's the best stuff. Um, how important uh, is it for you to, like, like or empathize with your character? Do you find goodness in him? Like, do you, do you have a background where he goes home? Or you're able to be like, this guy's kind of evil and loves money and I'm here in this moment? What? How do you do that? Uh, one of my... Uh, a tenant I live by, his perspective is everything. And... um you know, especially when you, you know, I play nothing but generally bad characters and bad people that are perceived as bad from the outside. And I understand that when I get hired. I understand that that's all I read for. <laughs> I also understand that to play him, and this is something I do when I teach acting, um, I, I start with the idea that somebody has to play Hitler. And... Um, <laughs> If you have to play Hitler, you have to believe like Hitler believes, and you have to think Hitler's doing the right thing when in everything that Hitler does. And so I'm not comparing Buchanan to Hitler. I think Buchanan is uh, defending the Sixth Amendment and working in the adversarial court system the way he's supposed to. Um, but the concept remains the same, and that is somebody has to play the person that me personally, I could not stand. Uh, <laughs> You know, in real life, I think is an evil, 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 evil human being. And so to do that, you have to believe what he believes and you have to like what he likes. And you have to like the fact that you have to kind of assume that he likes what he's doing, that he thinks he's doing good. We have several examples of that currently <laughs> around the world uh, yeah. that are causing more than consternation. So let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll switch it up. Now, um, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Kelly Williams, and you know, so many amazing guest stars and cast members are on this show, and yeah. you get to see people in flexing. Those courtroom scenes are hard and emotional, and people are breaking down and yelling. So, are there any performances in your history that you remember, or other people outside of Kelly that you were really excited to work with? Uh oh, God! Almost every single time I go, oh, that. She, I wanted to, oh, yes. Every single time I see the name. So, uh, and why wouldn't you? Um, and of course, it starts from the top. I mean, I'm sure you probably heard it before, but Mariska is a pretty good person. She is absolutely the greatest human being I've ever met in this business and probably in the world. So, um, or one of them in the world anyway. And uh, I don't know, I'm probably not the only one who says that, but she is kind of, Amazing. And it starts with her, but it's everyone around her, too. And, and, and Kelly and Ice and Peter and Danny and Chris and, you know, on and on. It's the best job I've ever had. They're, they're just good folks. And so what was the question? I think I went somewhere else. No, you did it. I said, are there yeah. any like performances or people you are excited to work with? And it seems like everyone and you love the job and Marishka's a queen. Is Oh my gosh. Well, isn't that actually 
the answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you totally answered it. Yeah, we actually just heard the same thing from a season, from a writer on the show that we interviewed and who also said that you are the very opposite of your character. So, <laughs> you know, the rep is, your reputation is getting out there that you're a nice person and you're not Buchanan. But I like, so when, <laughs> like, we also just watched, we're, cover, we're covering another episode where you, you, um, you know, you're grilling Cherie Appleby on the stand in like the, like she was in the military, in the Coast Guard and is raped. Right. And then like Hannah Marks plays this rape victim who's, in, does porn. And like, you have to like go up against these victims and like yell at them. And then what happens when they yell cut? Are you guys like, hey, like, are you making jokes or are you staying in it? Or like, what's your, what's your thing? Uh, in the moment, between takes and during the scenes, I kind of stay away from the victims. I'm going to leave them alone. <laughs> the actors playing the victims. Right. And I think they want to stay away from me. But usually it's, it's uh, you know, it's cordial because it's a business. We're all working. Right. Uh, uh, it reminds me of, I believe, my very first episode was... Uh, it was the one with uh, Misha Barton. Yep, that's that the, Savior. That's Savior. That's Savior? Okay. Mm -hmm. So Misha's on the stand, and um, uh, we're trying to get the scene, the two of us flowing better, because we need the drama. Uh, and uh, we, I got the nod from uh, the powers that be to go off script and start saying very, very, very vile things to catch her off guard and to get, uh, you know another reaction to whatever they were getting. So um, it was kind of the best and kind of the worst day. <laughs> uh, because I had to say some really, really nasty things, but... I mean, we just, like, we've talked to some people that are like, yeah, in between takes, Raul is, like, singing Les Mis. I mean, different oh, yeah. people have all their different, like, you know, things. So it's like, I'm just curious about your thing, but I think that's interesting that you're like, I'm just gonna stay away from, the like, the people playing the yeah. victim just until we're done, because, like, maybe they're playing it really method and you're not. You're yeah, not somebody yeah. any woman wants to see when they're on the stand. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's some freedom when when you're the regular and you're there every day. Um, and that is, uh, Raul, he's just great. He is just as chill as could possibly be between texts. And a lot of folks are like that. Peter can do that too. And um, everybody. Yeah. Well, when you're there regularly, yeah, because you have that that luxury of of space and time. and But I have to stay in it because I have to nail it. Today, yeah, because so. yeah, we need and, you and, back. We need you and back. And they do too. But yeah. <laughs> yes, bring back Buchanan. Buchanan for DA. That's what I say. Oh, God. Because <laughs> we covered your last one as well. I deserve some loving too. We did that on our podcast too. Oh, really? Yeah, we talked to Lee Hubila, the victim that you were probably yes, mean yes. to. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. Because I was, yeah, that's what I do. Do you ever, like, uh, in your real life, like, if you're dealing with, like, an annoying person, like, whip out some of that Buchanan? Do you ever, like, tap uh, into Buchanan? <laughs> I try to go the other direction, actually, because <laughs> mostly the the, uh, the anno uh, annoying people are expecting Buchanan. So Yeah. Uh, Kill them with kindness. I, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> you know, that's, you know, that's somebody I play on TV, but, um, you know, I'm just the guy walking down the street, so... We're definitely getting that vibe. Yes. 
I feel like I'm trying to get advice. you to be mean, but you're not doing it. <laughs> okay, I can be mean. Well, no, Let's no, do I'm it again. Joking. Let's start all over. Wait. I don't want it. I don't want it. I'm too scared. <laughs> so we're in this wheelhouse. You're always like, you know, you're someone in the justice system that's being shady. What, uh, do you have a dream role character? Do you ever want a script to come in that's like, fun dad, sweet, uh, sweet sitcom dad? Like, is there something you're like, can I just please fucking play this type of person? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that probably has come across already. Uh, <laughs> in, in that, you know, I play this guy, but um, it's like the straight offers you get. Okay, the character that I get anyway, or the character is... Uh, a Harvey Weinstein, but with a bag <laughs> over his head. So we won't even see your face. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I play that guy. I get it. Let's let's try something else, okay? Anything else. <laughs> so yeah, the the dream role is uh, the dream role is the next role. Yeah, you know, for the journeyman actor. So yeah. I'm not gonna poo poo on my niche. No. If you know what I mean. Uh, but I am also uh, open to other possibilities. If you're time. in casting, Delaney Williams available to play your next dad, <laughs> college professor, right. college inspiring college professor. That's right. That's right. That's well, right. Well, you, you know, sometimes though, with the defense attorneys, we see a little crack or their heart softens or something yep. happens to them and they need the detective's help. So maybe something like that will happen where a case will break you and you'll be like, I can't do this anymore, you know? From your mouth to Dick Wolf's yeah. Yeah. Buchanan, Buchanan goes non-profit and starts doing pro bono work. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Why not? Why couldn't he be? Why couldn't he be? Well, because yeah. Trevor Langham, you know, Mershka's husband, Peter, he started out yes. as like this nasty defense attorney. And by the end, he's helping uh, he? Olivia get no, baby Noah and he does pro bono work and starts helping. So, you know, there's a, tr they, they flirt now. We'll see what happens. But, uh, <laughs> oh, so are you, what do they call it? Shipping them? No, 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 no. I'm open. We don't ship. We, we don't <laughs> ship, but I hope when the show ends one day, I want Olivia with a man who deserves her. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not stuck on who it is. But we don't think it should be Stabler. No, not Stabler. So not Stabler, but Okay, I'm just going to throw this out there. Don't don't call me crazy. John Buchanan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, okay. Call me crazy. <laughs> That's not going to happen. So that you're would be thinking, a hilarious shark jump for us. Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be perfect um, uh, for this actor. Um, but the uh, the person you think she should be with is who? Is, she, is he in her life? We don't know yet. No. We don't know if well, they've introduced him yet. We liked Ed Tucker, but then they killed him off. But right. Cassidy is hot, but da too damaged for her. And I think Peter, I mean, it would be fun if she ended up with her real life husband on the show. I yeah. wouldn't. I think that could be fun. Moment. Or it's somebody that we haven't met yet. Who's rich, who's going to sweep her to Paris, and she doesn't have to worry about anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pulling for Peter myself. Yes, so. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know if you watch like we do, but um, I just caught up and the newest episode, Kelly Giddish and Peter Scaravino are together now. Yes. As characters. I saw so that's the they, At the end of last year, they, the end of last year? They, they, yes. yes. Rollins but now, and Carisi. Like, uh, you know, Carisi took her to meet his family for Italian dinner. So things are progressing, which is nice. Oh. <laughs> and, and so you want that one. I want that one too. I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I've that would been be sweet. to the journey. <laughs> I like that you're into the ships. This is yeah. exciting. Yeah, well, 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 uh, now, now I'm wondering about 
Finn, wait a minute. About ice. Does nope, ice but, have a... Yeah. Finn got married. But, well, he didn't get married. He got engaged. And then they engaged. had a, they had a wedding. But then at the wedding, they decided, we don't really want to get married. We don't really care. But everybody drink and eat and let's have a fun time. So their wedding turned into a party. And that's where Rollins and Carisi And it was Jennifer kiss. Esposito. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know yeah. Oh, that's fabulous. So are they together then? Yeah, Still? they're together now. Uh, so Finn's so everybody's settling down at the 16th love. precinct. Oh my gosh. <laughs> After 23 years, you should start nesting. Yeah. Don't you think? <laughs> After 23 years, seriously. Yeah, um, no that's so funny. It's kind of amazing that that forever. And I love that uh, the um, original is back, the Mothership, mostly because I've never worked on it, and I'd love yeah. to. But Oh, yeah, they should bring you yeah. in on the Mothership for sure. Yeah, there you go. You could be somebody um, different. But Yeah, why not? But um, Or the new DA. Oh, I could wait see you as a husband, oh, a that they think that you did it, but you didn't do it. I could see that yeah. for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. Let's get that rolling. <laughs> oh, and uh, the other thing I remember about that episode... Um, so well was it started off with the speech by um, Vice President Biden and addressing something that Mariska works and her uh, right. Joyful Heart Foundation. Mm-hmm. That's that's the name. And um, they do a lot of work uh, in ending the backlog. And I thought that was very cool. It worked out great. Yeah. So We have had a lot of listeners be like, do this episode and get Biden. We're like, <laughs> I don't think that's going <laughs> to... Yeah, <laughs> like, well... We're not kidding. Well, when I, I got the call, Biden's I was doing like, podcasts. <laughs> I'm, I, 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 wait, I, when I got the call to do this, I was like, so I beat out Joe, bud. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'll take that. So you just burst my bubble. Thank you very much. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> he was never even a thought for us. What no. would he even say? I went out and I made a speech. That would be a pretty boring interview. This is much better. Well, the, I don't know. The um, my, Yes, but the uh, another favorite thing I remember, these memories yes, flooding amazing. back. But the, the call sheet on that day had Mariska, Ice, Kelly, Peter, Vice President Biden and John Buchanan on it. I was like, this, I'm keeping this. Yeah, that's a framer. Yeah. I'm so glad you took it. Kara actually made fun of me. I always ask people like, oh, did you steal something from set or a memory or something? And you're the first person and you took the call sheet. And I am so happy. (laughs) I think I did. I'm sure I did. I know I took a picture of it at the very least. Yeah, it's in the memory box somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, okay, well. If I'm below on the cast list, I think Raul was on there too, yeah. <laughs> uh, if I'm below on the cast list, uh, just below Vice President Biden, then I'm doing okay. Yeah. More than <laughs> We've had a couple of, like, not villainous, but, you know, people that are not as beloved characters, such as John Buchanan on our podcast lately. And I feel sure. like we're really showing the real side of these actors so people can stop <laughs> screaming at them in the streets. And I'm, think, <laughs> I think we're doing a service. <laughs> this this is key. Let's get the word out there. Um, but, but again, it's all, almost always, you know, on the Twitter, it's, I want to push you off the top of a building. I want to hit you <laughs> with my truck. If I ever see Buchanan in the street, you know, that sort of thing. Um, like, it's just the kind of thing that would never even occur to me to No, but my mom's like that. Like, she can't look at Willem Dafoe. She does not trust him. She wants nothing to do with him. It's like a mom well, she thing, has good too. Reason. Yeah. <laughs> but you changed your Twitter bio. You used to have a really funny one that was like, 
I play the character you love to hate, but it was like a fun little riddle you had, but you changed right. it. Yeah. I don't remember the riddle, but it was cute. I remember being excited. <laughs> Thank you. I think, yeah, well, it was it, when you play the guy that people love to hate, that's uh, what it, I think it meant. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying I should put it back? No, no, no you do you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Oh my gosh, he is so. Fu- I cannot believe that was his first podcast. I know that was he's going to be hooked huge. now, <laughs> and he follows us personally on the gram. Yeah, and um, it was just like an honor to be able to be with a, our like the main one of the main defense attorneys, one of the most iconic, like hated characters of this series. So yeah, and this is probably like. This is probably like a little bit like feels like a stupid thing to say, but I almost like respect people's acting so much more when I see how opposite of their character they are in real life. Like he's like a make your skin crawl asshole on that show. And he's just like a teddy bear of a man in real life. And I'm just like, wow, you really transform into a different person completely, you know? Yeah. So he loves his kids. He loves the arts. He loves DC. Yeah. And honestly, yeah, thank you. And a fun name. What's Delaney? Never heard of it. Delaney William. I mean, that, I don't know, from that means that sounds like a southern, like a southern aristocrat, Delaney Williams. But I don't yeah. know. Um, Sue's incredible. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks him. for coming on, Delaney. And, uh, this postmortem of making a rapist, one of the most aggressive episodes we've covered in a while in terms of violence Burn. and burning. Yeah. Um, but anytime there's a burning, it it elevates the episode to horrific. Yeah. There's no casual burnings. Yeah. Except sure. in um what's the one where the, the pregnancy packed one? There was a burned band, but that that episode's pretty funny, anyways. There was a pregnancy, pa- there was a burning? Yes, in the remember there's like a guy burning in yes, the streets in the, the cold Flambe open. Man. <laughs> the yes, Flambe yes, man. yes. And so that's kind of silly um, in terms of like... Yeah, you, that one was a little... I guess that was a funny burn. I mean... That was kind of a hilarious burning alive <laughs> moment. Um, yeah, I guess like what we learned from this episode is like, I really wish the cops would do a better job sometimes because these wrongfully convicted people are possibly being turned into more hardened criminals when they're incarcerated for, you know, I decades. Mean, that's why I have such a hard um, time giving just blanket respect to a profession or a type of person because we're all flo- like, no one likes to work. Right. In general, or like a lot of people are bad at their jobs. So that's why I don't like it when it's like, you're a police, you're the army, you're a doctor, you're the best, you're the best, you're a hero. And it's like, no, we're all just people. And this is just a job. And some of these motherfuckers just won't investigate further or they don't want to work together and they want to go home and eat dinner and watch football. And like, we have to remember that when we would just want to give blanket respect to these people. Yeah. And, For me, like, I also learned a lot about, like, the adolescent interrogation tactics are so unethical, in my opinion. Like, I understand you think that this kid might be part of, like, a huge murder, but, like, he's 16 years old. He should have his parent with him. He should have a lawyer with him. And he has below average intelligence. You're taking advantage of that. Like, it's, it's like, I I don't know. I just think that's 
pretty gross. And I really hope that Brendan Dassey gets to see freedom again in his lifetime uh, because, I don't know, I don't think he had anything to do with it. Stephen Avery, on the other hand, you know, I'm sure we'll get our, I'm sure we'll get our comments. Also, um, we should just eliminate junkyards. You cannot have a junkyard or a car <laughs> lot or it seems like a lot of trouble happens. So yeah, no more, junkyards no more. do seem so ominous. Like, I yeah. think it's the car crusher too. That's like... It feels like almost the same as like a cement, like when there's someone hides a body in like the cement base of a building or something like that. It's like, yeah, you're never going to see this body again. Like we're pulverizing it. Like it's- um, Speaking of junkyards, uh, the reason it's so fresh in my head, I restarted on a plane and now I'm going to continue it casually. Now I'm not going to, but I'm going to rewatch Breaking Bad. Ah, so um, there was a junkyard murder. Um, a crazy yesterday. junkyard <laughs> scene. Yes, I recall. That's wild that you recall because this came out de- like over a decade ago and it was in season one. So you yep. know it's a crazy scene when fucking Kara remembers that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, my brain has mostly melted away with children. But, you know, I do remember that scene. And Breaking Bad, a lot of it sticks in my head. It was really such a huge show and like so amazing. Genius that television. It, genius. It, it changed the game, you know. Like, There's what's... songs from Breaking Bad that I like have on playlists. Oh, really? That I love. Yes. Yeah. Which There's, one, a TV... There's a TV on the radio song called DMZ that's in an amazing scene of Breaking Bad and I like love listening to it. It's like a very like intense Walter White song. I just love Breaking Bad. You're, that's a show I would rewatch if I didn't have 20 seasons of different television waiting on my DVR for me right now. I know. It is um I just Atlanta just started again. I know you mentioned you've mentioned Atlanta so many times. I I've never watched it. You don't watch it? it? No. Oh, sorry. I'll stop mentioning it. I keep forgetting. No, you I can. Forget these people I little... bring I keep bringing up Con Air, so you can keep that's bringing true. up That is true. <laughs> Keep bringing up Atlanta. Stop no. bringing up Con Air. Um, um, no, but Breaking Bad is now that you know everything. It's even more genius to see all these little moments. And oh, that's a oh, there we go. That's the beginning of that. That's what this proves. That yeah. they're showing this. They're doing that. And so it's even more impressive watching it the second time and like seeing all these little moments of character development. Well, also, um, I do, one of the series I do have is like the most recent two seasons of Better Call Saul are on my DVR because I wanted to stay in the Breaking Bad universe, although it's a very different show. I don't know if you would be into it. And I do want to say a quick thank you to the listeners that have been tagging me and messaging me about the fact that there is a new show coming out called Bosch Legacy. And it's like a new (laughs) season of Bosch. It's like on the Roku channel or it's on like IMDb's channel. It's on some random channel but I think I can watch it streaming somewhere. And it's like, it's like Bosch and his daughter, like living their law enforcement lives, like, but they're very different because I think she becomes a cop or something. Or I don't, I don't remember. I don't actually know, but it's, it's this like new Bosch that everyone's been letting me know about. And I'm definitely going to dive in at some point. Well, I want to watch El Camino after because I never watched that. What is that? That's the, after Breaking Bad, I get so, um, oh. so, it was a movie, but it's straight up, someone was explaining it to me, it's just like, what happens to Jesse Pinkman after that final episode? Like, you just get to watch him for two hours. So and it's just I a movie, okay, It's a yeah. movie about Pinkman post that show. I remember people were just calling it the Breaking Bad movie, so I think I yeah. forgot that it was called El Camino, but yeah, okay, yeah. that sounds fun. 
Um, and yeah, whatever. Tell cool things are happening, JK, <laughs> or a nightmare. But this episode, the justice system is flawed. And that's another thing that bothers me about just like rape culture in general is like this idea, like we know the justice system is flawed. We know rich people get away with crimes. We know it is racist. We know all this. But as soon as it's rape, it's, well, due process. We got to trust the laws. And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But for everything else, you say that it's terrible and then, you know, it's just like kind of annoying. Yeah. Well, that segues kind of into our What Would Sister Peg Do for this week, which is uh, our weekly segment where we give you guys an article, a book, an organization, something to give you more information or um, like a charity you can donate to just to get more information and flesh out like the topic that we covered today. And uh, this week, we're going to highlight the Center on Wrongful Convictions of Youth. And that is the legal firm that is representing Brendan Dassey's case. The CWCY is a nonprofit legal clinic that represents children and teenagers who have been convicted of crimes they didn't commit. Um, there's literally so much information out there about how cops can get false confessions from people all the time. And then when you lower their age to teens and adolescents, it's just like wild that some of these confessions can even be admissible. So this organization spearheads national efforts to drive criminal justice reforms that will prevent children from making unreliable statements and coerced statements during police interrogations. Um, so CWCY and their sister project, which is the Center on Wrongful Convictions, have exonerated more than 50 people. So if you guys want to learn more about them or donate, you can uh, check out the link in our show notes. It's way too long for me to read on the podcast. Thank you for that. Next week, we'll be covering Military Justice, another complicated, depressing, terrible episode. JK, very good. But Military Justice, Season 15, Episode 8. Watch with us, Hulu, Peacock, and anywhere you SVU. Thank you so much for listening to us. See you next week. Up is an exactly right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at that's messed up pod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at that's messed up pod and on Twitter at messed up pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Annalise Nelson, and to our mixer, John Bradley. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, follow, and leave us a review on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can listen to new episodes one week early on Amazon Music or early and ad-free by subscribing to Wondry Plus in the Wondry app. Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.